Hey everyone, welcome to the Ultra Crew Hub Podcast. On this episode, we will be covering athlete Andrew Steger and his crew during the Superior Fall 100 2023. Since 1991, this 100-mile event is held and put on by Rocksteady Running every year in northern Minnesota along the shores of Lake Superior while traversing the Superior Hiking Trail in the Sawtooth Mountain Range. This was Andrew's first 100-mile distance attempt, and he absolutely nailed it, coming in at just over 26 hours to a 14th place finish. Crewing along the way, Dave, Brian, and Jim support Andrew along his journey, and this is their story. Let's get into it. So, yeah, I think we can just, we can get started. So, uh, what we'll do is we'll just kind of start off, Andrew, you're the runner, and then we'll kind of start off with you. Just give a little bit of a a bio on yourself, short, whatever, um, and then we'll jump to Dave and then Jim and then and then Brian. So, so Andrew, we'll go ahead and start with you. All right. Well, my name is Andrew Steger. I am one year away from the master's division, according to superior age bracket rules. So... Um, <laughs> Uh, married with three kids, live just on the east side of the Mississippi and on Alaska, Wisconsin. Um, Superior was my first 100-mile race. Uh, leading up to that, I had done two 100Ks, a handful of 50Ks, and two 50-milers. So I was in the uh, very good graces of the gentlemen you're soon to hear about, and they're all responsible for getting me across the finish line. Awesome. Well, congrats on getting across that finish line. I know, I know Superior is a tough one. I know a couple people that have ran it, and that Superior hiking trail, from what I've seen and experienced, is absolutely no joke. I think it's it's the toughest I've seen outside of the the Rocky Mountains. Yeah, I hope I'm I hope I'm not burying any surprises or answering any questions ahead of time. But the uh, two best pieces of advice I got was they call it the Superior hiking trail, not the Superior running trail. And I'm sure we've all heard that it's death by 1,000 cuts. So mm-hmm. it's it's gnarly to say the least, but that's also what makes it fun. Yep, absolutely. Thanks, Andrew. Dave, you're up next. Yeah, I'm uh, Dave Mariner. I, um, I'm also a master's runner. <laughs> uh, even nice. older than Andrew. Um, <laughs> I also live in um, Onalaska, Wisconsin just east of the Mississippi. Okay. Um, and I would still say I'm a, this is gonna, this is not gonna sound good on these, uh, airwaves, but I would say I'm a road guy still. Okay. Um, Andy's Andrew's shaking his head. <laughs> uh, and it's love it. Other people have said, I haven't gone to the dark side yet. Um, <laughs> I, I have done a couple Oof. of certainly 25 K trail runs. And, um, I had been up to the SHT, two or three times with, with my wife, um, with some running, um, um, on just some short, you know, our, um, our runs just to explore, um, the beauty up there. So as we'll get to Andrew, Jim and I share, um, share the neighborhood and, and commonly get together on Thursday mornings. Um, okay. And, um, I don't know if we'll get to this, but and Andy was looking for uh, for some help, and I didn't have anything on the, the fall calendar, so I, I said, why not? So Awesome. Road guy. We'll get you over to the dark side. We're, we're doing Just, our best, that's for sure. Awesome. Thanks, Dave. Jim, 
How about you? Yeah, I'm, uh, my name is Jim Clive and I live right around the corner from Dave and I'm a grandmaster runner now. Awesome. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I ran road for a long time and then wanted to qualify for Boston and, uh, got, uh, plugged in with our mutual friend who got me out uh, running the route that we run uh, in the mornings. And that's how I got to know uh, uh, Andrew and Dave and then got pulled into the ultra marathon side there. And I've done 25, 35K. Uh, I've done one 50 miler. And nice. I'm going to do another 50 miler here in a couple of months. Awesome. So, which eventually which get to. I did one out in Arizona. Uh, okay. In Phoenix. Yeah. Yeah. And eventually uh, we'll get up to the 100 miler, but that's going to be a little, a little bit. Awesome. We look forward to having you on those, those trails for those 100 milers. It's, uh, it's fun. So it's going to be, a, it's a big step up. 50 to 100 is a big step up. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. You got it in you, though. I got faith. I went yeah. from, from a 50K straight into my next race was Zion 100, so I went from 50 to wow. 100 miler. And yeah, would have done things a little bit differently, but uh, I'm glad I ripped the Band-Aid off quickly. So. Yeah, wow. Someday I'll and... do uh, Wasatch. That's one of my bucket list runs, so. If I could just say anything about Wasatch, that definitely, I grew up in Northern Utah, born and raised. Oh, and yeah. Getting, getting a chance to, to run through the Wasatch. I mean, I hunted there all my life and spent a lot of time in the Wasatch. But to go from the areas that I know, point to point, across the Wasatch, probably one of the most beautiful races I've, I've raced so far. It was, it was a really good time. Highly recommended. Yeah. And, and Brian, now, now it's your turn. Well, uh, I'm Brian Mansky. Um, based on everybody's uh, summary there of their own uh, journey in running, uh, it sounds like I have the most experience out of the group, which isn't usually the case uh, when I'm in these uh, gatherings. But uh, I've been doing, uh, I've been running for about 12 or 13 years. And uh, like Dave started out on the road and uh, Accomplished a few things there, then got introduced to the ultra scene, which then led to trails, and and it's been just a wonderful path since then. And I've been doing the ultras for about eight years now, and uh, so I've, I've finished several uh, hundred milers, and I have a like the rest of you all have a bucket list of additional ones I want to work out towards or certain ones to when you eventually get into them but um yeah and uh i've known andrew for a number of years now and uh uh it's nice to been a uh, to have had the opportunity to work and uh help him accomplish uh completing his first hundred so in addition to my running uh experience i also have a fair amount of crewing experience and pacing um, simply because I really, I nice. guess, just as much enjoy, if, if not more, enjoyment out of 
helping others accomplish sure. those things because it's it's a heck of a a feat uh, to do, uh, regardless of whether you start uh, at the marathon and slowly build up to the hundred or just jump into it, like some of you mentioned. Um, it's 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 a crazy thing to do, but uh, it's uh, you can accomplish it if you if you work towards it. So. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, that's what we're here to talk about is to highlight the crew that gets these runners across their finish line, because we always hear um, other podcasts and other runners talk via YouTube or, or whatever podcast you may be listening to that the the runners say, oh, I couldn't have done it without my crew. But then it's crickets. You never hear anything from the crew. So that's what we're here to, to showcase is, is Dave, Jim and Brian, you know, putting in the effort and the long hours and the uh, and the time to to support Andrew and get him across the finish line at his at the Superior 100 this last year. So, um, yeah, it's good to have the crew's experience and and have their insight and, into these races, so that at least we can showcase that it's not just all about the running. There is some level of support, and quite honestly, crews can make or break it. I've talked to individuals that have had bad experiences with crew teams not making it to aid stations missing gear things like that and other experiences where the crew teams have been outstanding spot on almost like f1 formula uh, formula f1 teams so yeah it's good to put a little bit of spotlight on the crew and give them some some credit because you know it's pretty stressful um so for you guys me and brian actually met this year at the cruel jewel 100 and we just happened to be standing at the start line what about a half hour before the race started and was like hey what are you guys doing where are you from and wisconsin and you know we were from from woodbury here and we just got to chatting and hey we'll see you later and then it ended up being my wife jory and brian's wife liz me and brian ran really close together the entire race so my wife and his wife were able to kind of move through the entire race together. And it was a pretty cool experience because I don't think Liz had ever been there before, right? You've never been down to, to Georgia. Nope. And and Jory, my wife had never been there either. So it was good for them to connect and have kind of a mutual experience in getting through. And they actually became really good friends. And me and Brian are pretty good friends. And that's how, how things have kind of evolved for us. Um, I know Jory and Liz talk quite a bit. Um, go back and forth quite often and now the cruel jewel was just a really good experience um for them and we have a really good podcast called the aftermath where you know they sit down with another individual that we met there at the race and kind of explain it's it's a pretty good storytelling it's pretty good pretty good time but so that's the history where i, where I met brian was was that cruel this year and yeah i think we finished within 45 minutes of each other or something maybe maybe an hour so we stayed pretty close and I couldn't have gotten through that race without my wife. Cause I think it was around, I don't know, mile 80 or something. I was, I was hurt and I was wounded and she kicked me up out of the chair and told me to get going. I mean, it's, I don't know, two in the afternoon, it was 80 something degrees and I had the shivers, but she got me up out of the chair and moving. So, but anyway, well, let's, they- uh, Go, go ahead. I was, I was just, I was just going to say, uh, it's actually kind of interesting to hear that's wow. how you and Brian came across each other because, um, it's, it's 
how I met Dave and Jim wasn't a whole lot different. Uh, we just had a mutual friend in common, and uh, he, us, us three are very few who are crazy enough to get up at four o'clock in the morning to meet at four thirty to go run around in the woods in the dark. So, um, this all started back what three four years ago, and every Thursday morning. At 4.30 on the street corner under the street light, that's where we take off. And for the past three, four years, we've just kind of gotten to know each other through, believe it or not, very candid conversations in the woods at 4.30 in the morning. So since then, that's how I bribed oh, yeah. them all into helping me crew a 100-mile race. <laughs> that's awesome. I've got, a, I've got a little bit of crew around here that I run with quite often and stuff, and it's the same thing. It's awesome how the community just grows and how people just meet up and become friends. And, you know, if anybody was to ask me, like Brian, would I would crew at any any race anywhere for, for him if he asked. And I know there's some other people that I've met in some other races that if I called them up and said, hey, let's go run this race or let's go crew this race or, or something like that, they'd be more than willing to. So, and they're from California to even all the way back east. So it's, yeah, the community's awesome. Once you get together and start running some trails, there's there's definitely a bond that happens. So it's a pretty fun time. Yeah. It was fun to be a part of something that is somebody else's, you know, uh, committed goal that they put all this time into and they really wanted. Yep. And it was fun to be a part of that. So Awesome. Well, let's let's dive into the nuts and bolts. So we'll just start off by you guys are from the other side of the Mississippi in Wisconsin, so there's obviously a little bit of travel. Um, kind of want to start off by um, where did you guys where did you guys stay? I know the race starts um, at Gooseberry Falls, which is uh, a nice little state park up here in northern Minnesota. Um, not a whole lot of you got two harbors a little bit to the south, um, but let's just start with you guys talking about where did you stay and how was or how was it finding lodging and, and, and things like that before the race? Well, one, one of the things that uh, Superior is quietly known for is it's, uh, it's very remote and you're running along the western edge of Lake Superior, kind of in the Arrowhead portion of northeast Minnesota. Uh, so anyone who's been north of Duluth knows that it's not necessarily desolate, but there's not exactly a Motel 8 on every single corner. Mm -hmm. So um, what a lot of people will do is they will actually do their best to book one year in advance. So, for example, I actually know a few people who were there at this year's Superior Race um, who already made attempted to make reservations for 2024's race. Wow. Um, so... Uh, one of the one of the great things that northern Minnesota is known for is its um, ski season. So the Mason, as you mentioned, the race starts in Gooseberry Falls, but it ends in Lutzen at Caribou Correct. Highlands. So um, every year, the weekend after uh, Labor Day, there's a mad rush to secure lodging at Caribou Highlands. And... Um, since my wife and two children, who are four and one and a half, decided to come with to assist Jim, Dave, and Brian with crewing this year, um, we we got uh, lucky enough to get 
uh, one of the resort rooms right at the finish line. So we got super lucky, uh, got a convenient spot overlooking Moose and Mystery Mountain at the nice. That's awesome. near, near peak of the leaf changing season. So um, what I will later find out without burying the lead here was um, I was willing to pay the extra premium to get a hotel room at the finish line because that made my hobble back to my hotel room <laughs> uh, significantly <laughs> shorter. <laughs> For sure. Did, so, so you chose a spot, and for our listeners out there, you, like Andrew mentioned, it's it's a not desolate, but it's a remote area, so to speak. So, a year mm -hmm. out, people are looking at, at getting these hotel rooms. Did you ever think about maybe getting one night at the start and having multiple nights at the at the finish, or was it just strictly go to the finish line, book your hotel, and then take the bus or the shuttle or, or transportation back to the start? Yeah, uh, John Storkamp, the race director, does a really good job of putting together a literal uh, booklet of information, mm -hmm. maps, GPS coordinates, uh, lodging, all of that stuff. And I, I definitely gave thought to, well, geez, traveling with a young family, I could stay a night in Duluth, I could stay a night in two harbors. Um, but anyone who's ever traveled with young kids know that consistency is key. So yep. um, we just bit the bullet and got a place at the finish line and just decided to travel back and forth for things like packet pickup and uh, the start and things like that. Um, okay. John makes it really convenient running that shuttle back and forth for uh -huh. 100 milers and 50 milers. Um, but one of the nice things with uh, my job, I just had to tow the finish line and run. Um, <laughs> so I, I just handed over the keys to the car to my wife and said, I'll, I'll see you as soon as I can. Exactly. Awesome. And so for, for Dave and Jim, did you guys show up obviously the day before or maybe two days before? What was your experience as crew um, with lodging and with um, that whole experience leading up prior to the start of the race? And, and Brian, likewise as well. Uh, it was... Uh, we had a, our mutual friend, a running coach, who has a place in Two Harbors. And so he was kind enough to, he had extra beds, so he was kind enough okay. to offer us that spot. So uh, I had taken the, let's see, the day off before the run. Uh, and as soon as Dave got out of work, we drove on up. And it's about a four-hour drive. Uh, we got up there, kind of had dinner on the way. We got up there and got, you know, tucked in for the night, got, uh, you know, reasonable sleep through the night and got up and then went to the start from there. Okay. So. So did, did the, Dave, the, did, did you all stay at the two harbors? Dave, yeah, Jim, Dave and, and I, Ryan? Yeah, uh, Dave and I did, and Brian okay. was in a different, different spot. Okay. Brian, you were with Andy, weren't you? Yeah. So uh, I have uh, for this for this experience with this time at Superior, I, I stayed up uh, at the finish line. Actually, I stayed with Andrew, uh, and I had a couple uh, reasonings for that. Um, well, one convenience, and two, I wanted to do any last minute strategizing with them. Uh, 
and get the full experience being with my runner uh, or packet okay. pickup and just to get the whole experience. Plus, I wanted to meet the rest of his family, which I really hadn't gotten to do, even though I've spent uh, countless hours and miles on the trails with them. Uh, so that was, a, that was a blessing uh, to be able to do that. Um, I will say I have, I have other experiences with this race. I've run it in 2018. I crewed it in 2017. Well, I, I volunteered, crewed, and paced in 2017, which I always refer to as the trifecta. Um, and it's a wonderful experience uh, if you ever get the opportunity. So uh, all that to say, um, there are options to camp at the start line if you are willing to, you know, get uh, less than a ideal sleep and less, you know, outdoors, depending on superiors notorious for uh, rain, cold, just a mixture of weather every year. Uh, you know, being in September in northern Minnesota, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, exactly. So I've I have camped beforehand uh, at the start line, and part of that was because I was also volunteering for the first aid station, so I would not have to wake up additionally uh, any earlier than okay. normal. Um, that drive down from the finish line where Andrew and I stayed is a good hour um, uh, yep. to get to the start line. But you do, like Andrew mentioned, have the convenience then of being right at the finish line when you're done. The year that I ran it, I stayed at a cheaper accommodation about another 20 minutes, maybe 30 minutes north of the finish line. And um, there's a lot of uh, things you can say in ultra running that are bad ideas. Um, <laughs> and I found that's all relative. Uh <laughs> Right, but I right. can assure you, one of the bad things to ever do is really think that you can drive yourself thirty minutes after being awake for thirty plus hours. <laughs> so that was a very well uh, thirty-minute drive <laughs> back to that location for the year that I ran it. Um, I, I do my best to avoid that decision or that mistake again in future races. Okay. Yeah, that's a that can be a recipe for uh, for stories for the future, right? I wouldn't say a disaster, but but it could give definitely give some stories for the future, some trail stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's enough stories. Uh, okay. I don't need to add that uh, to the <laughs> list, um, so I try not to repeat that. No mistake. doubt. But it is. It, but you no do doubt. pay a premium for that uh, location right at the finish line. Um, but it is very convenient, and as Andrew pointed out, it, it does book up quickly because it is the consistently the same weekend in September every year, so everybody knows that spot and that time, and it usually does start getting booked uh, like days after the event ends for the next year. That's interesting because people are taking, I guess you would have to look at what would be cancel cancellation fees so to speak because it is a lottery the superior 100 is a lottery and if you didn't draw but had a reservation i guess you'd have to be aware of any type of cancellation fees or, or whatnot for for that so um yeah for any listeners out there if you're gonna run the race book early 
Um, maybe not wait for the lottery, but double check the cancellation fees. If you don't draw um, a ticket to toe the line, then at least you have that option. But if you do draw a ticket, you're lucky enough to have some good good accommodations at the finish. So, all right, guys. Well, that you would could, you could also have your trailer at the finish. Hmm. I've been up there uh, <laughs> in the ski parking lot, which is just right there as well. So. Secret option three for you. Hence the reason why we bought one. Yeah. So hopefully no more sleeping in the back of cars like I did at the, uh, uh, the Saddles 100 after the race. That was a uh, little, little sore getting out of that car. But yeah, anyway, yeah. We'll, we'll move, we'll move Jim, on. Jim does bring up a good point. <laughs> there is a mass amount of parking available at the resort, and then there's an extended parking lot. Uh, just across the street. So I uh, do see some okay. interesting setups and rigs as well. So so is, is camping is camping allowed at that finish then? Some races kind of frown upon it. So I would I would say they don't necessarily allow like tent camping at the finish line, but for people that have like camper vans or RV. the willingness and, to sleep in their car. Gotcha. Uh, there's a there's a huge like overflow parking lot. Um, okay. in fact Last year, uh, I was up at Superior pacing a friend of mine, and uh, I had three friends who just slept in their vehicles in the parking lot. So one of the nice things about the finish line is it really is just a big kind of party, just with campfires and kids' games and yard games and things like that. So it's a, it's full of camaraderie and just a lot of jovial fun. Oh, for sure. And that's one thing Store Camp puts together very well is it's it's a pretty epic finish. I've volunteered at Zumbro last year and yeah, it was it was spot on. He knows how to do it right for sure. All right, so let's move on to the race start. So the race starts at Gooseberry and the first so you have two aid stations. You have Split Rock and then Beaver Bay and it looks like Beaver Bay is the first crew access point. So let's talk through Andrew, you go ahead and uh you start the race. Give us a little bit on that start, and then we'll dive right into what Dave, Jim, and Brian managed to. Uh, and they'll give us a description on what it was like getting up to Beaver Bay because Split Split Rocks a uh, a non crew accessible area. So, yeah, we'll start with Andrew. Give us a a little gist on the start, and then we'll jump into Dave, Jim, and Brian. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm just gonna spend a quick minute to give a little bit of a background summary as to how I even got to that start line. So, um, three years before my name went into the drawing for the Superior 100 lottery, I was laying on the floor right above my head here, uh, okay. with two wow. with two herniated discs and sciatica down my right leg. Oh wow! And for three months, uh, which included five chiropractic visits and 23 physical therapy visits. Um, in 2021, uh, I was spending my summer watching Strava and all my friends set PRs and run races and mm, go painful. mountain biking. And yeah, I was just inventing new curse words looking out my living room window. <laughs> um, but one, one of the things that motivated me to do was as long as I couldn't move, I... Uh, busted out a good old trusty Excel spreadsheet and put together a three-year plan that ended with me uh, 
running the Superior 100 race. So that's awesome. Lead, leading up to that, I um, threw my hat into Zumbro twice, did Wild Duluth. So um, before my car even pulled into the parking lot, um, Brian and I spent the hour drive from Lutzen to Gooseberry talking about what songs were best to get motivated to tow the line. <laughs> and then when, when we pulled into the parking lot, um, you know, as, as you would expect for any uh, start line, you know, there's crew vans, there's runner vans, there's spectator mm -hmm. vans, camera crews, uh, family, kids. So, and, and John's got the music blaring. Um, Josh from Fika Coffee's got everyone caffeinated and trying to yep. stay warm. And, uh, so when we pulled into the parking lot, uh, I actually didn't recognize Jim and Dave and they just walked up and put their hands on my shoulders. And I kind of had to look over my shoulder, like, who the heck are these guys? <laughs> That's awesome. Um, but, uh, it, it was good. Um, I was, I was a little bit nervous because I'd never run a hundred miles before. And I'm a firm believer that, you know, when, when you set goals, if they don't scare you just a little bit, they're probably not high enough. And hundred percent. This was one of those things where this 100-mile goal, um, that's a big deal. It's scary. And uh, so nerves were flowing, probably aided by an extra cup of coffee that morning. Uh, but it was really nice to see Jim and Dave um, and, and Brian. Don't mean to leave him out. Um, just because there's just such great camaraderie, uh, trust, and confidence in these guys. And um, I could tell before I even got to the start line that they were excited for me. They were excited to be there. They were enjoying the atmosphere. Uh, so, so that helped give me some peace of mind and some confidence because one of the things that was important for me before the race even started that I, I just wanted these guys to be taken care of and enjoy themselves because that took a load of stress off my shoulders. Um, so perfect. So getting up to that start line, um, in, in the words of Brad Pitt and Fight Club, I, I tried to be as calm as a Hindu cow and mm -hmm. just kind of mm -hmm. take in take in the atmosphere, <laughs> you know, say hi to some friends, um, you know, reunite reunite with some people you haven't seen for a year or a couple races. And um, John always does a good job kicking the race off. So the first Absolutely. four miles from the start line, um, you're just running on blacktop bike path. So what was important for me was... Um, a friend and I had actually gone up in June and August and done kind of like four day, um, training camps per se. Okay. Just, to, just to familiarize ourselves with the trail, um, get used to everything. Um, and even despite having run the 50 mile race in 2019, um, you know, there's four years in between there. So you tend to forget certain sections and sections look different in the daylight versus the nighttime and vice versa. So what was important for me was um, just going out slow. And, you know, it, it, I was intentional about keeping it easy, um, keeping it conversational. In fact, I had a goal of actually getting passed by people just to rein myself in a little bit. Um, smart. That's very smart. So one of, one of the fun things about um, before hitting the Split Rock aid station is I think right around four to five miles in, you cross the Split Rock River and... Uh, this year, it just so happened to be knee-high water, so your shoes and socks are soaked within the first hour of the race. Gotcha. And um, just kept it nice and easy going through Split Rock, um, hit the Split Rock aid station, was feeling great, um, ran into a few runners that I knew coming out of Split Rock and going into Beaver Bay. Um, again, I was just 
in, enjoying just being out in nature. Um, you know, I, I, I live and breathe trails and in the woods. And um, unlike Dave, I, I don't really particularly enjoy running roads. So mm -hmm. um, I was just trying to really take in the experience and, and just make it to Beaver Bay. And that's that's where I knew that I would see Jim and Dave and Brian and my wife and kids for the first time. So I just wanted to come into Beaver Bay feeling good and uh, still knowing what my name is. Yeah, for sure. And that's a that's a that's a hell of a story, Andrew, to to come all the way back from from an issue with herniated discs and, and sciatica and stuff like that. I mean, that's a hell of a goal to set. And hey, here you are today. You hammered it out and you achieved it. So hats off. I mean, that's a that's a special story. And I think that will give people the the umph to, to set forth the goal and, and move on and put together a good crew and hammer out the goal. So congrats. That's that's impressive. Thank you. So Dave, Jim, and Brian, he's off running. You guys, what did you guys do? Give us a uh, give us a little crew perspective from from the start to to Beaver Bay. I mean, traveling along the route. How easy was it to find the aid station? Obviously, Rock City Running and John Store Camp put together the best packet for crew that that I've ever seen. It's John. I think if anybody was to write the encyclopedia on RD in a race. Marking a course, especially, just just hire John. Let John come in and take care of everything for you. It just makes life easy. Um, but no, Dave, Jim, and, and Brian, let's uh let's kick it off. You guys from the start to the to the first crew access location. Let's uh let's hear it. Yeah, we had settled into um using my minivan, um just kind of organically. We didn't actually talk about it a great deal ahead of time, but it worked. I think it worked nice. Basically had uh, the back open for um, food and wa water in everyone's bags. Um, you know, the gold bag is was Andy's. Andy, as we'll get to, Andy had specific um, instructions with for every stop, and his wife had the bag uh, to start with, but we, okay. we we got the bag in the middle of the night. Eventually, when they when they went to pill, <laughs> um, so um, I think we settled into kind of you know a driver, an assistant, um, and then someone in in the middle row. Um, just a quick comment on 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 those supplies. Jim um, again, kind of organically supplied food. Um, I had gotten some chairs and refresh, um, some water, uh, and a, and a cooler. Um, again, I don't know, Jim, if you want to speak to what went, went through your head as far as what you're going to need from a crew perspective, the rest of the rest of the day or night. Yeah. Well, I, I figured once the race started, there's no, there's no stores, there's no convenience stores, there's no restaurants, there's uh, we weren't going to be able to break from an aid station, go run to McDonald's or something and come back with food. So I thought as soon as we leave the start, we're going to kind of need to be self-sufficient. So, uh, I thought a cooler full of food, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, uh, and a heat source. So I had my, I had my jet boil. I figured okay. a jet boil, uh, a pot, some water, and then the uh, the meals 
what you what I could do ahead of time I had you know had hard boiled some eggs and then uh, other stuff peanut butter and jelly sandwiches sandwiches type stuff um, and then uh, things that could do over a stove in a pretty quick amount of time in the back of a, you know out of the back of the car in a parking lot someplace or beside a road and uh, to you know keep us fed. So that's, that was two bags of food and a cooler. Okay. That's good to point out. I I was kind of looking at the map and I, I'm, I mean, I'm not from Minnesota, but looking along 61, I mean, yeah, there's really not a whole lot along there no. all the way. So for, yeah. for anybody out there, your crew needs to be sufficient for themselves as well as, as well as you. So, I mean, I yeah. think Silver Bay may have a little bit of something in there. Um, for, for crew to stop and grab maybe a bite to eat or something like that. But, but then again, you gotta, you gotta keep moving to get your, uh, to get to your runner. Yeah, I think, I think so, the common, yeah. sorry to interrupt, but a common move was after the start, you see your runner to people went out for breakfast. Um, I had heard, wow. we had heard that from other, other people. Um, we didn't, we went right to, to the, and we got there our first stop quite early, um, and hung out, um, uh, with our friend Jake and, and other people. So I don't know if that was, okay. that was kind of under Brian's directions to say, let's just, let's just get out there, get a spot. Yeah. So, so getting to Beaver Bay, would you say get there as early as possible or is it something that you can show up to Beaver Bay a little bit later, maybe as, cause this is the first crew location. So pretty much 18 miles in, most of the field is probably going to be pretty close together and there's no staging area. So I'm assuming that, every single crew team is going to show up. Is it better to show up early or is it maybe beneficial to stop and grab something to eat? Like, is there, are you going to be carrying your runner's gear for a quarter mile or a mile down the road? Say for example, like twin lakes at Leadville, if you don't get there soon, Ooh. you're walking, you're walking a yeah. long ways. So is, is yeah. Beaver Bay pretty accessible if you're there early or there late? How's, how's that aid station? It's, ex it's accessible, but, they don't let you park on one side of the road because it's a county, it's like a county highway. Mm -hmm. So, uh, it starts to stack up. You're walking a long ways down the road, uh, you know, which is not insurmountable, but, uh, good idea to have your, your, have wheels for whatever stuff you're carrying, whether it's a little mm -hmm. wagon which we had, uh, or uh, a lot of the teams had, they were like uh, toolboxes that had wheels on them, almost like a piece of luggage, but you know, yep. made out of hard plastic. And then they could just pull it along and it was easy. Uh, awesome. So, yeah. So, you'll, oh, that, uh, you'll see a common theme in a lot of these aid stations as we, as we progress through them is that uh, this course is on in state parks in very accessible areas uh, for the majority of the station. So uh, your standard uh, crew wagon uh, or something with wheels will get you to the majority of those eight stations in a comfortable way. Um, in the case of uh, in the case of Beaver Bay, uh, like Jim said, County Road, and uh, it just, uh, you could end up walking a quarter mile on the road 
to get to okay. the aid station. But again, you do have 18 miles in the case of Andrew. Uh, knowing he was going out slow, we had, uh, according to his splits, uh, four hours to arrive there. Okay. Um, so we, we did, uh, Jim, Dave, and I did caravan all together, which we just kind of threw together at the start line and said, okay, let's do that. Um, we quickly ditched his wife and kids <laughs> as they went out for breakfast, <laughs> which they okay. quickly, uh, determined, which, which you guys mentioned, right. Is limited food availability. You can go back into two harbors. Uh, but there's only really one good coffee and restaurant to go to, and the wait will be a while unless you leave before the start of the 100 and beat all vehicles out. Um, but again, gotcha. then you lose out on that experience of seeing your rudder and just the whole thing in general, uh, all in the name of just getting to some food or sooner. So it was it was key to have... Make sure you you're focused all the time as a crew and a pacer on on your runner. You have to be cognizant uh, that you keep care of yourself as far as food and water throughout the day. So Jim having the van stopped already for us was uh, pretty convenient, and we did get there. Yeah, that's smart. We got there early. We helped set up that aid station because we had that much time. And, um, oh, good. so it was, a, it was another great way to, to hang out with those volunteers and help them set up, uh, while we were waiting because, uh, yeah, we, we had a good three hours, uh, more than three hours. So the drive itself, I think is about 20 minutes to that age. I want to okay. say maybe awesome, you know, and that's just taking your time because for sure. And you do, you get to, uh, that first section that Andrew mentioned, you're running, there's some road running as you get onto the trail. So you can, and you do see your runner and you see the other runners from that road as you're going north. So you, uh, you do what I do, which was just hang my head out the window like a dog and start yelling and cheering because <laughs> that's, that's what you do. Uh, that's what crews do. You yeah, have that's to. That's what you do at 8 a.m. Uh, and that's probably, you know, one of the many reasons why I lost my voice for about three days after that. Um, <laughs> but yes. Um, so then you have that, uh, that time there. And then if you're there that early, right, you can set up and get a specific spot because it does get busy. But, uh, you know, any runner that comes through there, just like any of them are, are confused by the amount of people and the noise and everything, but. You can see a runner come out of the woods and escort them over to your area. And it's, you know, so it's not an urgent thing that you're there awesome. early because um, there's plenty of spots. It's just whether you want to walk a little bit further up. Whether you want to walk or not. Yep. Awesome. So I did notice that Beaver and Silver Bays, those two aid stations are fairly close to each other. Um, would... Or could it be a possibility for, I mean, did you guys go to both? And could it be a possibility to just skip Beaver and go straight to Silver and wait for the runner there? Or, I mean, is that an option? Or did you find it beneficial? And did you guys hit both of those aid stations? We did go to both. 
And, okay. Um, personally, I wanted to see him as much as I could just simply because it was his first hundred. And uh, for sure, we had several other, I knew several other people running this event from our area and they were mostly behind Andrew anyways. So uh, I got to see them after he would go through as well. So there's some okay. convenience there. In prior years that I run or crewed or paced this event, I had to skip Beaver Bay as a crew simply because the runner was experienced and didn't feel the need. But gotcha. also because I was volunteering at a aid station, uh, the first aid station at Split Rock. So I did not get over there in time anyways, so it wouldn't have mattered. Um, but you are right, it's gotcha. only four or five miles. Uh, and I say that only because it is a pretty rugged section, but correct um, in the grand scheme, yeah, it's not critical. Uh, it's more, you know, you're up there, you want to see a runner as much as you possibly can. And Superior yeah. is one of the few hundreds that I've ever done that has this much access to your runner. Uh, I have, for sure, I have done others that... My wife has only seen me twice, maybe three times. Um, yep. And that's a that's a long, yeah, that's a big ask <laughs> to travel somewhere yeah, and to like, only see your person for a combined maybe fifteen minutes over thirty hours. Exactly. For sure. For sure. That's kind of like that's kind of how Wasatch is. You got three crew access locations. You got one called the Wall. It's kind of a pastry exchange. Um, but yeah, that can be a long time between seeing those people. So Andrew, for you coming into Beaver and Silver, how was that seeing your crew there? I mean, this is your first hundred, first time seeing your crew, the first crew location of your first hundred. How was that experience? Uh, it was, uh, I, I was still on cloud nine just from, I mean, even four hours into the race, I was just pumped to come into every single one of those aid stations because, um, all those age stations, they've got all the cowbells going. There's always mm -hmm. a big crowd of people there. Um, you know, I, I, and I was just genuinely excited just to see them. Like, it was just fun. Like, as a target to just get there feeling good. And um, I was hoping and hopeful that they were enjoying themselves because I definitely didn't do them any favors in terms of time because I think I came into Beaver Bay in, like, 60th or 70th place. So... Okay. Um, they they definitely had to sit there for a while and wait, um, but I was okay with that. But um, <laughs> Beaver Bay being the first time you see your crew, you're super excited. And um, you are right. There are only, it is only about four, four and a half miles in between Beaver Bay and Silver Bay. But uh, what's lost in the translation there is I think there's about eight to 900 feet of elevation gain in those four miles. So okay. it's, it's pretty technical. It's pretty rugged, um, but it, it is beautiful. So coming into Silver Bay, it was um, probably a good hour, uh, if not a little bit longer, just to run those four miles, just because it is so technical. But uh, for sure, the the excitement wasn't any less at Silver Bay than it was Beaver Bay because, um, if memory serves me right, I think the aid station after Beaver or Silver Bay, I don't believe there's crew access. So you got to kind of plan ahead a little bit um, because I think it's like an 18 or 19 mile section before you get your see your crew again. Yeah. So from Silver Bay, you would then 
uh, no crew access at Tedaguchi. And then your next crew access would be County Road 6. So getting from, from Silver Bay, we'll, we'll hand it back over to the crew. So from Silver Bay, I'm assuming that from Beaver, let's back up for a second. From Beaver to Silver, it's you got four to five miles for the runner. And, and again, listen to Andrew, guys, because it's it, the Superior Hiking Trail is no joke. It's technical. It's rugged. It may be four or five miles, and you may think in the back of your head, I do these all the time during training runs. It's going to take me 45, 50 minutes. Nah, you're going to be a while. So plan on at least an hour plus um, as a runner, and then your crew can at least not have to, you know, fly off Lax Lake Road, up 61, and and try to get to that, that next A station. They got a little bit of time, so... I'm I'm assuming that you know from Beaver to Silver, Dave, Jim, Brian, pretty simple, pretty easy drive. Very simple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Easy drive. Yep. Good. And Andrew, you were <laughs> caught on one hour and one minute for your arrival into that aid station. Look at this guy. The crew guy's got all the stats. Oh, hmm. Brian, you did say you were a stat guy. Oh yeah, but Andrew's got better spreadsheets than I do. So <laughs> it was also. Um, even at Beaver, at least apparent to to me, and I think to to Jim and Brian, um, how well Andy looked compared to the rest, uh, or to other runners, not every runner, but but you know certainly people that came through at the beginning, they looked gashed. Um, and you know, Andy came through, he just he just looked fresh. You could just it was readily apparent. So I guess in my mind that that was um, that's something that was. A good feeling from the get-go. <clears throat> good, yeah. I think there's a lot of people that come out here to run this race, and they look at the elevation, and they think, eh, it's not too bad. And then you get on that Superior Hiking Trail, and you just get waxed. You get, you literally get it handed to you. So, yeah, I could imagine. I've spent a little bit of time on that trail, and my first experience was I thought it was going to be a little easier than it was, and nope. So, beware. Yeah, and you mentioned, Mason, that it was, it's like a formula racing team, right? There's a pit crew in that. And uh, from that standpoint, I was not nervous for Andrew at Silver Bay or, or Beaver Bay or Silver Bay. Uh, he looked comfortable and not, uh, not overdone it um, simply by his demeanor, uh, his attitude. So I knew his nutrition was on. So that gave me a little Good. comfort for knowing it was his first, but he, as I told him before, he was the most experienced, inexperienced hundred miler that I know, um, simply because of his knowledge through others in his running group, uh, and experience running hundred Ks. So, um, I for wasn't, sure. I wasn't sure. surprised, but you get caught up in the moment and it is very easy to go out hard. And you pay that price, uh, which he did not. So. Quickly. Yep, you can pay the price very, very quickly. So, Andrew, that's that's something that I have a very hard time with is slowing down. Um, yeah. So hats off to you to slow down and, and take the time to get through that that initial brunt of the course and, and continue on. Well, I, I, I can't take too much credit for uh going out slow because that, that was about a four-year learning curve for me to, you know, learn to go out slow and not blow up in the first half of the race. 
<laughs> yeah, I I hear you. A side note for me, I was reviewing one of my races just recently. Uh, the year A100 I ran this last year, and I completed the first 51 miles in 15 hours. And it was a 45-hour finish. So that tells you how long it took me <laughs> to complete the next 50 miles. 30 hours, which... Wow. I need to review some things on how to manage a race, but... <laughs> Yeah, that was a slug. So anyway, let's uh, let's continue on with the Superior here. Um, so from Silver Bay, you run through Tedaguchi, and then the next crew access location is County Road Six. So so Dave, Jim, and Brian lead us up, leaving Silver Bay and leading leading into County Road Six. How how was that that adventure and getting to that next crew access? Yeah, we needed to put our thinking oh, the thinking cap on. If I if I remember right, so Brian was volunteering at um at um crosby right brian and jim needed to get ready to run to crew um and so we had to we had we had to shuffle um basically i had to shuffle brian to to help volunteer and then i came back um and saw uh, uh jim jim take off um and yeah because this uh, is the this is the first time andrew can pick up a pacer yeah mile yeah. 40 at, at, at county road six correct yeah. okay yeah and it's physically it's a uh, uh, look like a maybe an old gravel pit n near the road so it's a huge uh flat parking lot okay just just maybe not even a quarter mile down the road from where the actual aid station is so, uh, plenty of, plenty of parking, plenty of place to, to be with a short walk down the road to the actual aid station. And we okay. got there, we got there in, uh, plenty of time and visited a little bit at the aid station. And then Jim made an Italian uh, dinner for us. <laughs> yeah, I made, I made, I made we, we had it going on. We had Jeb Boyle Camp Chef, Chef out. Jim. Yeah, we, 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 we had a very nice dinner in that parking lot. Awesome. So. What what are you doing next year, Jim? Yeah, I'm open. <laughs> that was fun. Awesome. So, yeah, Andrew, you had almost 20 miles from Silver Bay to County Road 6. So, so Dave, Jim, and Brian made it there. Fairly simple. Sounds like this county road is pretty easy to it's pretty accessible for crew teams um and and andrew yeah. so 20 20 miles for you how was that coming into that aid station and seeing these guys and getting ready to pick up jim for your first pacer yeah so um leaving silver bay going to tetaguchi um i knew in my head was a pretty rugged section but i knew once i got to tetaguchi if memory serves me right i believe that's a state park so the trails through there it's about 50% single track, gnarly, rocky, rooty, and about 50% what I would call relatively buttery smooth trail. So I knew I knew going uh, into Tetaguch that I was in pretty good hands. And then from Tetaguch to County Road 6, that's actually one of my favorite sections across the entire 100-mile course because you leave Tetaguch on some really nice, very beautiful scenic uh ridge runs mm -hmm. you kind of they dip you down and then they bring you back up uh, a ridge 
and you kind of weave back and forth and there's uh, a couple of really gnarly climbs coming into County Road 6, but one of the beautiful things about coming into that County Road 6 aid station is you you run along this ridge and you can see and hear all of the cowbells and clamoring and hooting and hollering in the aid station, but you still got about thing. another two miles to run um, and about another five to 600 foot climb in there, if I remember right. But um, from a crew perspective, it's actually really nice uh, in the dusk and evening hours, if you happen to catch it, because you can see all the headlamps coming across the ridge and it's just, just a really cool sight to see. Yeah. That's some of the, I think that's probably one of the most sightful things I've ever seen in the mountains in general was the running an ultra and seeing the headlight train. That's pretty epic. Yeah. And from a, from a runner's perspective, um, again, I was, I was still trying to keep it reined in. I had actually mm-hmm. met up with a really nice group of runners and we, we chatted for about four to five hours. Um, I had one poor girl, uh, took tripped and fell and, scuff the palms of her hands pretty nasty mm, but uh, she she bounced right back up and kept trucking with us um but i i was excited to come into county road six because i knew um i didn't know who but i knew at some point i would pick up a pacer at county road six and one of my um good friends jameson swift captains that aid station and uh, i was excited to see him and um one of my nerdy goals i had uh was to just soak in as much of the camaraderie of the superior race as I could. And having ran crewed and paced certain sections of the superior hundred before, one of the things I wanted to do was come into that aid station, still have enough bounce in my legs to jump over one of the cones. And okay. I'm, I'm happy to say I accomplished that goal uh, pretty carefully. Congratulations. But, <laughs> uh, but it, it was, it was really good coming into that aid station because I still felt good, felt fresh. Uh, well, about as fresh as you can with 40 miles on your legs, but um, I felt good and I knew I was picking up uh, what I found out was Jim. And okay. uh, uh, not not to get too far ahead here, but um, when I picked up Jim coming out of that aid station, I said, oh yeah, I said, Jim, this is actually a really nice section. If memory serves me right, um, you, you run through a really nice um, enclosed patch of cedar trees. And I think there's a few... Uh, gnarly little sections of trail in there, but I know it ends with a really nice boardwalk section. And um, what I forgot about was the incredibly gnarly uh, 600 foot climb that you can almost reach your hands straight out and touch the hill that you're climbing up. Um, So hopefully he doesn't hold a grudge against me for that. uh, (laughs) Kind of left that out of the conversation of coming out of County Road 6. (laughs) Awesome. Uh, Yeah. I, you uh, you had you, you had texted at some point and said you were coming up on the aid state. We, we, the cell service was kind of patchy through the race. Some places didn't have any, uh, but we had a little there, and we got a text from you that said you needed uh, new socks, and and we were figuring you were like right around the corner, and it took a while. That that two mile run took a while. We were starting to get kind of worried, and then pretty soon you popped out of the woods. You're like, wow, that was a tough two miles. <laughs> so that was a quick uh, sit down, change the socks, uh, 
and then off we went. And I wasn't sure exactly what pace you were going to be running. I was kind of worried I was going to be holding you back. So I started it by saying, look, I'm not going to hold you back. If you need to drop me, drop me. <laughs> and he said, no, I'm not dropping you. But it worked out. The uh, our, our pace worked out great, I thought. Awesome. Sweet. No, that, that's good. Sometimes it's beneficial to have those pacers. My wife's paced me a couple of times, and it's always been nice to have her there um, just to kind of rein me in a little bit and keep me thinking straight. So that's good. So County Road 6, yeah, Dave, I'm, Jim, and, and Brian, you guys, pretty simple to get there. Any uh, Anything you can give up on an offer for, for getting to that? Because I think, yeah, you had – quite a bit of time to to wait for andrew yeah. so yeah we're here. anything yeah. did you guys did you guys yeah. find anything interesting about the aid station like on your way up there things to do possibly stop and kind of relax for a minute or something like that yeah so we didn't uh we didn't take the time uh to do any touristy stuff um there are a few options later in the race because you're at state parks to uh um, during daylight to check out uh, yeah. some of the scenery, and, and we'll kind of get to some of that later, I think, in, in this discussion. But, yeah. uh, um, you know, uh, having skipping Tedaguchi, um, it used to be an aid station that was crew accessible yep. in a very remote way. You couldn't, you can hike yourself in there to get to it. Um, it's, it's requested that you don't do such things, and I wouldn't suggest it. Um, your, your runner, will just enjoy the break from everything. Um, and, and, it, and it's a very fully stocked grading station at Teneguchi. Um, but all that to say, yeah, it's, it's a, Andrew gave us a five hour wait, um, because he was going so painfully slow. Uh, but it is nice, um, at County six space wise, huge parking lot, uh, 10th of a mile from the actual yeah. station. You can see your runner on the top of the hillside. Um, well, you can see people, but you don't know if it's your runner or not. Um, but they do they gotcha. do come out of the woods. They they run about a quarter mile on the road by those cones that Andrew was trying to hurdle. Um, they had plenty of <laughs> visibility to them coming in. Oftentimes, they're calling out numbers in advance, too. So it's definitely oh, one that's easy to know when your runner's getting there. So you shouldn't be surprised uh by them just showing up and then you're not having your stuff ready for them uh, gotcha and this was the first that's good to know yeah this was the first aid station where uh our our duties as a crew actually had to like we actually had to start our logistics yeah. uh entertainment for the event because uh dave mentioned i was going they drop. They drove a half an hour out of the way and then back to County Six so they could drop me off at Crosby Eight Station because I was going to volunteer there until okay. I met Andrew when he showed up there. And Crosby is the Hunter K mark, which was Andrew's longest run to that point. So I was very excited. That's where I would take over later um, to start him off. Uh, on his uh, new new PR distance, everything after that. Yeah, awesome. 
So, so Brian, you, let me get this straight. So you were crewing up until you had to spend the volunteer time at Crosby, and then you jumped in at Crosby and paced Andrew out of Crosby. That's correct. They dropped me off at Crosby. Awesome. I set up that aid station and worked it for probably five hours. Yeah, until nice. Andrew shows, showed up sometime in the middle of the night. Oh, give me some credit. It wasn't that late into the night. <laughs> oh, let's see here. <laughs> well, I knew the math. Well, you mentioned, Brian, you guys were thinking of songs to play at the start line. In my mind, you know, Brian, knowing Brian, it was probably Backstreet Boys or something like that, right? Yeah, I just about <laughs> had to kick him out of my car for some of the suggestions he was throwing out there, but Britney I also Spears, needed his maybe. help, so I tolerated it. I'm sure it was, I'm sure no, it was a list of 80s music, mostly. Nothing at all with that. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, so from County Road 6, you get you hit Finland, which Finland's the start of the 50-miler. So I'm assuming that this aid station is pretty robust, pretty good size. I'm just, Assuming it has quite a bit of access because it is a 50-mile start. So from County Road 6, it doesn't look like it's too bad of a drive. Do you guys want to take us from County Road 6 to, to Finland? I mean, at this point in time, Brian, you're at Crosby, right? Yeah, so it was— So it's just Dave, just Dave and Jim. Yep, and Jim was running. So it was just me at that point. Ah. Um, I had dropped off Brian and then doubled back to um, to Finland. and. You're exactly right, Mason. It, it, it's it's a nice, um, it's a school, um, plenty of room to park, um, good aid station, um, okay. a lot of people there just as in general for support. So, and at this time it was like twilight. Um, Jim and, and Andy were coming in right right. I was get as it was getting getting dark. <clears throat> yeah, Andy had the okay. had a goal of uh, getting getting there without having to use headlight so we were we just made that you pop out okay. of the back of the school into a like a soccer field and then run across the field to the sort of the parking lot of the school okay awesome and that's yeah it looks like a pretty sizable area and that looks is this the only technical out and back on the on the course because it looks like a little dip yeah, there, there's a small out and back at Split Rock, but I, I mean, we're talking okay. maybe the length of a football field. Um, okay. And coming into the Finland aid station, uh, you do take a little bit of an out and back, and I'd say maybe it's a quarter of a mile, maybe. maybe oh, okay. Third. That's not too it's bad. Not, it's not too bad. Yeah, for sure. Signed you as well. What's that, Brian? There's a small out and back on uh, signed you. Which is a, a non-crew aid station. There are very gotcha. few times that you are actually off the Superior hiking trail, which, from a uh, pacer standpoint, makes things pretty convenient. Uh, and as we mentioned earlier, John has a has the course tremendously marked, uh, um, but you still kind of get yourself lost, uh, especially when you get tired. Oh, for sure, and. As well as you can mark the Superior Hiking Trail, I've been lost on it a few times trying to follow the blue board and the whiteboard and and everything else. Yeah, it can, you can get turned around quickly. Okay, so from from Finland, so 
Dave, you were by yourself from County Road 6 getting up to Finland. Pretty simple drive. You got a lot of parking options available at Finland since it is a 50-mile start. Um, from there, Andrew, you would have passed through Sanju on your way to Crosby where you would have picked up Brian. So getting from – so, Jim, you got, I'm assuming – I, I, The key thing here was to pass the van keys. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> if the runner took the van keys, we were in deep trouble. So, gotcha. so Dave, I jumped in. Dave had the van keys. <laughs> so Dave jumped. So Dave, you jumped in at Finland. Okay. So let's let's start. Let's take us from there. So, yeah, go with the baton pass of the car keys. Yeah. So obviously this is the halfway mark and. Andy was still looking super strong. Um, obviously, um, there's still just a lot of excitement in the air. Uh, we had put our headla headlamps on and um, headed off. And and Sanju was just a is a is a really neat uh, stop. Really neat little um, aid station. They got lights hung up in the in the woods. Um, a lot of other stations do too, but this this one in particular stood out. Um, it was a kind of a gnarly stretch, Andy. I don't know if you remember. It wasn't smooth trail, so. Um, um, but we had good conversation, and, and we, you know, again, Andy was was moving. Nice. So it is a superior hiking trail. Nothing's again, nothing's easy on this trail. Yeah, and um, for me, from the again, I know, I, I know the focus is on the crew, but as as a runner coming into Finland, um, as as they mentioned, my my goal was to get into Finland without having to use a headlamp, um, which uh, I did. But um, nice that 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 was important for me because um, I I thought my wife and kids were gonna leave me at uh county road six but i mm -hmm. pretty much begged and pleaded them i was like ah just let them stay up a little bit later it's okay <laughs> we're out here having fun just go to finland meet me at the halfway point um so i tried my best not to keep my kids up too late past their bedtime so got to see my wife and kids before they went back uh to uh lutzen for the night um but then i i also picked up uh dave coming out of there and um Unbeknownst to me at the time, um, I'm coached by Michael Borst with Climb Above Endurance Coaching, and yep. he showed up there with my four-year-old daughter on his shoulders. So nice. Um, it, That's it off to just, Michael. Yeah, it was just really, it, it was just a really cool moment. Um, I tried not to philander too long in the aid station there, so I uh, kind of high-fived Jim, sent him on his way, and just kept moving and. Then uh, picked up Dave, and yeah, Dave's exactly right. That section from Finland into Sanju, there's nothing easy about that. Um, it's it's just roots and roots, covered roots, uh, slippery boardwalks, and um, so I made a mistake, the, Andy. I started. I I told Jim, I think pick us up, or I'll be we'll we'll see you at ten thirty, or we'll see you at eleven thirty. I and I shouldn't have done that, so. As Jim and Brian will lead to, they they were kind of rushing to the next. Um, I think Jim was rushing to, to get to the next stop. Um, not that Andy wasn't moving well, but I had I had gone off of 
again, a prior uh, Excel sheet that Annie had made, and, and my estimation was wrong. Okay. I was okay. No. I, I went and uh, you guys took off, and I went and put some dry clothes on and grabbed some food and then uh, made my way to Crosby. And that, uh, well, I talk about Crosby when we get to that next point. But it, it it's now it's dark, and you've got to sort of find your way on a, a dirt road, like basically a logging road, uh, to this next station. And with, I don't think we had any uh, cell service at that point, so it was just kind of going off of, uh, the map we had okay. uh, uh, printed off each station had we had a map so kind of like uh, going off of that and you know sort of where Dave said to go which was turned out easy to find uh, but not having been there before it was there's a little anxiety and like am I going the right direction and that's that's getting to Crosby that's getting to Crosby, yeah. Okay. And that's off County Highway 7. It looks like Benson Lake Road is kind of the logging road you may be referring to. Could be, yeah, dirt road. Okay. Good. It's good road. Just uh, uh, if you got turned around, there's it's not like there's a lot of signage isn't great. And the cell service is patchy. So having to print it off, uh, print it off map. Uh, was handy. Okay. Just for um, up. So up up to this point, one thing that I haven't heard is, and it just reminded me when you said that this is no cell service and you kind of can get kind of turned around. What was it on for, for fuel-wise on your vehicle? Were you running low? You had plenty of gas? I mean, is it is it something yes. that, hey, don't pass the gas station, guys, because you, you may not find another one. Is well, it that kind you're of not gonna pass one? one so <laughs> make sure you got plenty pass. of gas. Yeah, if you fill up at the start, you're you'll be fine for the for the uh, duration. Okay, yeah. that's that's good to know. I have my wife has ran into people at certain events that I've ran that did not necessarily put gas in the car at the start and were somewhat stranded halfway through the race. So yeah. Uh, I will. That's good to know. Yeah, uh, I will say there is a, a gas station in the Finland area, and it is open late enough. Um, and I only know that because we we happened to need some fuel for the uh, aid station that we were working. Okay. Uh, Jim is right though. The drive from Finland to Crosby is that's the most rugged road that you're going to encounter as a crew. Um, okay. Good to know. It turns from pavement to crushed gravel, dirt road, and very dusty. The runners do. Uh, um, it's a long walk-in for the crew. That is one aid station where if you don't want to bring a wheeled device, I would suggest not, just because it's... Crosby. To, into Crosby, yeah, because it's a long walk and it's okay. not a flat... Uh, simple road. It's leading into the state park, but the uh, parking is extremely limited. Uh, only crew, or I'm sorry, only volunteers can park inside the park itself. 
uh, okay. which is where the aid station is, and the runners, uh, the runners and the crew have to run the dirt road all the way into the aid station. Um, okay, so. so you can park, you can park on County Road Seven, and then you have to take the dirt road, yeah, into well, Crosby Aid Station. Yeah, you got to walk it in. Yeah. And that okay. Par parking on the road stacks up, so that can be a pretty long walk. Okay, did you guys find that at this point in the race, because some races, um, this will kind of thin out a little bit? Now, Jim, you just mentioned that it'll, it will stack up, so you're finding yourself 62 miles in that's still stacking up from a cruise perspective. Yeah, so. yeah we were, it's interesting because Andy was sort of, he was becoming the front of the the lead pack of the of the ultra, so I'm sure there were that the there were a lot of there was more volume of runners behind us, but okay. even so, uh, just people getting to the Crosby that there were quite a few cars there already, and it was you okay. know late at night. And David warned me. He said, you know, it's a long ways in. Uh, and so when I, I got there, I, I had my, and I didn't have any wheels now. I'm carrying the box. Gotcha. Uh, so I, I, you know, kind of hustled up and I'm thinking, okay, I'm, I'm late, but I'm good. And I get to the, to the T where the, it's like closed and the volunteer says, okay, it's a half a mile that way. I'm like, a half a mile? I'm late. <laughs> so now I've got the box. So now I start running uh, and ran ran back in there thinking I'm like tight on time. Uh, you know, and Brian was about to put an APB out on me, you know, <laughs> thinking I got AWOL. And, but remember, but then it turned out we... We had plenty of time, so. Okay, good. Because I was all screwed up. So that was, yeah, that was, I screwed Jim up. I caused some unneeded anxiety. <laughs> That's okay. I got there. I thought, gosh, if, if I miss him because I didn't run this, that would be awful. So I started right, well running. Hey. And that's that's good to know. I would have, you know, for, for me and never having run this race before, I would have, or, you know, my wife crewing him, this is some good information to have for people to, you know, you're getting into Crosby. You got a, you got a ways to go. So, yeah. So bring something with wheels. That was the other, because it's a long ways. If you're, if you're carrying stuff, you know, have a little, whatever they are, travel pack or the little uh, wagon thing. Gotcha. Make it a lot it easier. is by far the longest uh, of all the aid stations for the crew uh, perspective to get in and out of. And and Jim's right. Um, he had a long walk, and that's and that's with Andrew at this point being in the front middle pack. So uh, okay. his slowness in the first stacking 50 up paid off because progressively every aid station that we went to. After the halfway point, we had less and less and less people to talk to. I was making more friends with the uh, with the aid station volunteers than I was actual runners, because he progressively kept passing people, which was a great thing. 
to do in the second hang. Congrats. Um, That's awesome. We had less competition for vehicle parking. Um, so those that are in the middle to late pack, yeah, that's an even longer walk-in. And it is dark at that point. Um, Weather-wise, if it's raining, it's going to get muddy. Yeah, really yeah. muddy. It's the most remote. Uh, no no cell reception at all at the aid station. They have a ham radio operator. And they do at other locations too, but this one is for sure no cell reception. Um, so the printed gotcha. booklet was, is important. If you don't scout, if you're going to scout out one aid station area prior to the race, which I often do the day before um, in an area where I've never been, um, that's the one aid station that you just want your crew to be comfortable navigating that in the dark. We went the other route where Dave drove it with me, dropped me off, and then we just let Jim just go out and learn it on his own. I just went. Probably was probably one of the more stressful experiences, I think, uh, for you for uh, most of the event. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that is stressful for crew. I know my wife has experience at crewing me. Um, being stressed that I may be moving a little bit quicker than she thought and not having enough time to get there. Yeah. And then being out of cell service and not having the map work correctly or, you know, sometimes even the directions aren't exactly spot on. So, well, yeah, that could be pretty stressful. And it, uh, one, one, one quick story I have to throw in about uh, Crosby here is uh, one of my goals coming into County Road 6 was to be able to jump over the road cone uh, the second goal I had was <clears throat> these guys aren't minimizing the uh, tenuous half-mile uphill slog that you have to get to to get to the aid station. Uh, as they've mentioned, it's so remote, there's no cell phone service. And in 2022, uh, when I was working that uh, aid station, volunteering there, um, it's actually one of my favorite aid stations because you can look up and see the Milky Way with your naked eye. And that's just a really cool, unique experience nice. in and of itself. Yeah. But um, one of the things I was telling Dave about, who was pacing me at that time, I said, I'm really excited to get into Crosby because there's there's three things that I wanted to be able to jump over that road cone. And then forgive me, I, I forget the gentleman's name, but the ham radio operator that has consistently year over year been at Crosby has this beautiful, deep radio quality voice. Then he gives every runner uh, their own unique greeting to Crosby. Really? So I kept, I awesome. kept telling Dave, I said, Dave, we're going to run up this hill because I want this ham radio operator to announce my arrival. I've, I've wanted this so bad. And running up that hill, I was like, all right, Dave, listen, listen. He's going to say it. Listen. And sure enough, I get up there and he just, Welcome to Crosby. And I was just, I, I, I don't think I couldn't, I don't think I was more happier at any point in that race than when I finally got that greeting for myself. <laughs> that is, that's awesome. That's a good, that, that's pretty cool. Yeah, those guys, those ham radio operators, I'm assuming this guy's probably been doing this since the inception of the race. Yeah, I, 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 I feel bad because I can't remember his name, but, um, Prior to running the race two years in a row, I volunteered mm -hmm. at that Crosby Aid Station, and he's he is a genuinely um, just a nice, nice guy. Um, just, just one of the, you know, one of those guys that would give the shirt off your back to help you. Just easy to talk to, and um, I, I, 
for hours, I just enjoyed all of his greetings that he would give to all of the runners that came into that aid station. Oh, that's special. That's cool. So let's let's continue on down the path. So so Jim, you were you were there on time to Crosby. You had a little bit of time. Uh, yeah. so let's time. go. <laughs> let's go from uh from Crosby to Sugarloaf. So Brian, this is where you jump in. So now Jim and Jim and Dave are back together and they can get from Crosby to it looks like Sugarloaf is the next location. So we need to talk about that. Um Andy and Brian don't know this, but Jim, do you remember we went the wrong way? We did, yeah. <laughs> oh, out yeah. of Crosby. Leaving Crosby, you went yeah. the wrong way. We left Crosby and went the wrong way. <laughs> well, yeah. Dave, Dave just got handed to him following Andrew. And and Jim, you're, yeah, frazzled from, from Crosby. So now you make a wrong turn. Yeah. And yeah, we just kept going. We didn't figure it out for so we the, 20. No, we drove for a while until there was a, a T or something. Next road, you know, where the next road T was. They were like, "Huh, this isn't where we're supposed to be." <laughs> so, what? Which? So, if you come out of Crosby, did you? Well, no, there wouldn't have been a wrong turn there because you were on County Road Seven. So, where did you make the wrong turn at? Was it just a a, a brain fart, so to speak? Did you just kind of like, or was it mismarked or, oh, or anything think, like that? No, it wasn't mismarked. I think it's a it's uh Boy, as I recall, we kept going and we were supposed to make a turn, but it, uh, you know, you're by yourself. It's dark. It's middle of the night. Hundred yeah. percent. I would own it. Yeah. I, I think I I turned. I had Jim turn the car around. Basically, we headed back toward um, Finland when we should have just kept on the way we were parked. All you had to do is, right. you know, store camp has good directions. Keep going. Um, it, to Jim's point, it was the middle of the night. It's dark. There's no one, no one really else yep. around. So, and and you and you don't have Google Maps. <clears throat> and gotcha. And Andrew's running in front of the pack, so there's not a lot of other crew teams to follow. So, nobody to follow really. Gotcha. So you guys got a little bit sideways getting to, looks like Sugarloaf. Um, how was how was once you got rerouted and back on track? How was getting to that aid station? Then yeah, then we were fine. Okay. There was one turn where it wasn't a. a it was a sign. Um, you could have missed, but by that point we were glued to the, to the guide. Um, but it it was it was okay. Otherwise, once we were right headed to the right direction. <clears throat> okay, awesome. So then from, um, Sugarloaf. So Brian, you were from Crosby to Sugarloaf. How? How was that getting Andrew through through that section as a pacer? Well, the good news for Dave and Jim was that even with their rerouting, uh, they had plenty of time. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, about 10 miles, and mm -hmm. if I'm looking at things correctly, Andrew was like right over almost exactly three hours uh, to do that section. So it kind of gives you an idea. Uh, and... That's not just because of the T at that point, because you're 60 miles in when you start that section, but it's just a technical uh, section. Uh, my opinion, the most difficult section on the course, um, partly because it's now night and just the timing of when that section occurs, uh, I think it's the most difficult. Gotcha. Um, so. 
from a volunteer and crewing perspective, uh, working the Crosby Aid Station, I always tell people, get through that section and you're going to be fine. If you can get through to Sugarloaf. To Sugarloaf. You're around mile 70. You know, you can start sniffing things that it's, you know, you're in that marathon 50k distance um, although that's a long ways um it's it's doable at that point if, if you can just get through that sure. section so yeah andrew was a little slower through there um but honestly it was in better condition than when i had run it a few years earlier i i think um he was a little bit more alert than i was and uh, just had more balance in his steps. Um, and there was a lot of power hiking through some of that rock because uh, there's a lot of it in that section. So if there's um, the first six miles of it is there's not a lot of room for running, but the last like maybe two miles or so, you can kind of uh, pick up the pace a little bit. A little bit. bit, yeah. Yeah. So he was feeling so okay. good. I was. Um, confident in I would actually when I paced him in this section I left him with about a mile and a half to go and I ran ahead uh simply to alert the guys that we were arriving get uh make sure we knew everything was ready for him so Andrew and I would talk as we were going through that route uh as to where he was at nutrition wise water um electrolyte because with Superior, you can leave your runner, go ahead. You can't, um, I can't mule all this stuff for him, but I can simply go ahead and start to prep things for him in advance. And that's worked well. Good to know. Uh, in other events that I've crewed people and paced, mm-hmm. it wasn't as needed as I found out, um, simply because we had three guys, uh, which was a luxury for me. This was, so new for me as a as a pacer to have uh, two additional crew people. Um, so I, I didn't have. I mean, my job as as a as a crew and pacer was a a lot simpler. Um, I I had a well, lot of time good. enjoying things in a, in a whole different life <laughs> personally uh, than I have other experiences. Nice. So I wasn't on the trail as much as we leapfrogged the pacing responsibilities, but I had a tremendous amount of time to uh, chat with the other eight stations and explore some of that while we were waiting. Um, okay. But yeah, it's a difficult section, and Andrew, I'm sure, can speak to that as to how he was feeling. But mentally, he seemed to be pretty pretty good and alert to the point where I didn't feel uncomfortable leaving him ahead uh, just to... Uh, save some time prep. and get things prepped for him, which honestly it wasn't as needed as I thought it might be, um, which was a really good thing. Yeah, so from from a running running perspective, I, I did a shoe and sock change at Crosby because um, getting into Crosby, that's the 62-mile point. That's the furthest distance I had ever ran coming into Superior. So just kind of okay. wanted a, a fresh reset for clothes. Um and there's there's actually a, a really cool picture that one of my good friends, Mary Lubke, got where I have a Nike Wild Horse on one foot, a, 
uh, Hoka Speedgoat on a different foot <laughs> and blood and dirt running down my hand. So it's a it's an iconic superior picture. Um, awesome. But I, I I I left Crosby with that mindset of like, all right, every step I take is the longest distance I've ever ran. This is all new. I'm pushing myself into that new physical and mental space. And it's interesting, as Brian mentioned, it is only a nine, nine and a half mile section, but I began that section with a very positive mindset. But by the time I got to the end of that nine mile section, um, I think I had invented a few new swear words. And that last mile when Brian <laughs> left me, I was like, this has got to be the longest mile in the history I've ever of my running career. Um, so I, I never really hit a negative space, but just to give that section, it's credence um that that's just how gnarly that section is i mean it, it really does there's not a lot of running there's a lot of power hiking it's a lot of gotcha. rocks it's a lot of roots it's 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 gnarly and that's an understatement again it's a superior hiking trail it's uh it is what it is it can be rough for sure yeah, and the, the other thing I would add there, I think we'll get into a little bit more as we keep working down the aid station line here, but I, I think by the time we got um, coming into Sugarloaf, I would say that for me as the runner, that's where I just started to feel the mental fatigue starting to set in a little bit. Um, so I, I don't remember the exact time, but um, I, I could just physically and mentally feel that, you know, the body was starting to wear down a little bit. My mind was a little less focused. It was I was finding it a little bit harder to concentrate. Um, so that at that point, I'm not sure what time it was, but that's when um, entering that new physical and mental headspace was really starting to come to fruition. There, yeah, for sure. And I imagine you know your mental capacity and the body in general is. Hey man, I just ran a hundred K. This is, this is what I do. I'm going to shut down now, but you still have, you know, a long ways to go. So that can be rough. Just, just an easy 40 miles. Just an easy <laughs> yeah. 40 on the, on the superior. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So from, from Sugarloaf, so Brian, you brought him into Sugarloaf. And then from there you have the next crew access is Kramer road, which really isn't all that far apart as the runner. But then again, you're, you know, 71 miles deep into the race. Um, do you want to take us, uh, Dave, Jim, or, and, and Brian, take us to to Kramer Road from, from Sugarloaf? How was that crew experience getting to and from that next aid station? I was... I would say it's you remember yeah. pretty non-specific. Specific, um, yeah. I would emphasize, you know, at this stage of the race, um, Andy's demeanor changed, uh, which was very normal. Okay. Um, much more quieter. So I remember Jim saying, "I we didn't really talk hardly at all." On his um, second, you know, we each did a leg, or we basically rotated legs, and so. Um, you know, I did my best to try and stimulate conversation, um, you know, the second time around in the middle of the night, um, mm -hmm. just to keep Andy, you know, moving and, and remind him to reminding him to, to eat and drink. Andy, you had told me you were felt, feeling a little nauseous, um, kind of in the middle of the night. So, um, I think you said maybe you had overhydrated, if I remember you saying that right. 
<clears throat> yeah, I, I I never really felt like sick, but I felt, you know, just like something wasn't right. And, mm -hmm. you know, reflecting back on the race afterwards, um, both Jim, the section before, and then when I was running with Dave the second time around, uh, what, what I chalked it up to was I, I think I was slacking on the sections in terms of hydration before that. And then uh, simultaneously, um, I was also finding it difficult to swallow. So Jim gotcha. and Dave did a good job of like, hey, it's been 15 minutes. What have you had to drink? It's been 30 minutes. What have you had to drink and eat? It's been 45 minutes. What have you had to drink? And admittedly, I got so annoyed with them asking me what felt like so often. I was just like, all right, I'm just going to drink so that they stop asking me. And and I think what ended up happening was I, I just drank too much too fast. And it just kind of upset my stomach a little bit. Mm. Um, so I just had, a, you know, a few hours of just not feeling the greatest, which gotcha. I think probably led to a little bit of the like, silence and uh, one word answers and occasional head nods that my pacers and crew got from me during those <laughs> later sections in the night. Understandable. It's easy to get to that, that point as a runner. Yeah, for sure. So, so Kramer's the, the start of the 26 mile race. So there's three races here. There's the 150, the 26 mile race, the marathon. And that, when does that exact, did that start that started earlier than when you got there, or was it a later start than when you got there? Uh, it would have been a later start. Later um, in fact, start. That, that, that was, yeah, that, so that was, was one of my other subtle goals was to um, get to Kramer Road before the marathon started. <laughs> okay, so for for the crew, yeah. and again, Andrew, you were in the, the mid to the front of the pack. Would crews run into a situation where they would have been jockeying for space with the 26 mile start teams is that is that a possibility or is getting to kramer i mean how is that aid station parking wise and 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 would you as the mid to the back of the pack be running into the 26 mile starters it's a smaller venue okay it's a, uh as I recall, there wasn't a whole lot of extra room from with the tent and uh, communications uh, runner stand that they had set up and then the fire pit. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of extra room there. Okay. Uh, certainly if all of the runners showed up there at one time, you there would not be enough room for everybody. So I, gotcha. I, we weren't there with the marathoners, but uh, I could see how if there was a big group in the middle that uh, arrived the at the same time. Could run could, into an issue. Yeah, yeah. You, it, 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 I could see how it could be tight. But yeah, cause the, fortunately, I think by that point, people are spread out enough probably that it's not not that much of an issue unless all the marathoners that, show up. Yeah, because at that point, you're at about a 24-hour time because the 26-miler starts at 8 a.m. on Saturday. So you start Friday at 7, 58 o'clock, and then the 26. So 24 hours later, the 26-milers are starting. Yeah, that's 
that's not unreasonable to have somebody at 78 miles into the race at 24 hours. That that could cause an issue. I would I would see something to the effect of all the 26 milers that are going to start. And there's typically with the the lesser distance, you have more runners. So. Yeah, well, and the other thing, the other thing not to forget is the 50-mile race starts at I think 5:15 a.m. Saturday morning. So, not only do you have the 26-milers to worry about, you also have the 50-milers coming up breathing down their necks. So, with that crew support. Hmm. So later, so you would say possibly after Finland, all the crew access locations because then the 26-milers also have crew access. It's just this progressive snowball effect of, depending where your runner's at in the race, you could be, yeah, having difficult not difficulties, but it could be causing a little bit of time delay and in getting into those A stations. So, yeah. starting There's it more uh, traffic, yeah, a lot more traffic, and with the A stations, like you mentioned, Jim at at Kramer, it's a little bit smaller. So, yeah, if you're a on a, I would say probably a. 32 to 34 hour finish then I would say maybe by that time Saturday you could be running into some some traffic with the 50 miler and 26 miler crews yeah potentially yeah my experience yes has been that uh on um, having crewed and also volunteered a couple of different times in the crewing aspect yeah it, uh, if you're a late middle pack um, you definitely are competing for the, that space with those two events. This particular experience, because Andrew's uh, progression in the second half uh, to the front of the pack, we our group didn't have that at all. In fact, that was okay. part of the motivator was to not get caught by the 50 and or marathon runners um, as the front pack start to chase you down literally um it's kind of fun actually in that way um but i could also be awesome where that's not fun for somebody that's struggling at 100 to have dozens of people passing you <laughs> uh as i i have seen that before too gotcha gotcha no that that's good to know and that's something that i just realized yeah you start stacking up the 50s and the 26ers in the mix so it could get pretty hectic so, so from Kramer Road, you have eight or so miles to Temperance. And looking at the map, it looks like it's a fairly short drive for the crew. So Dave and, and Jim and Brian, so you guys continually swapped pacers as you went along. So who was up next from Kramer to Temperance? And for the um, individuals in the van, let's... Let's kind of go from from pacing perspective. Who was up? Who was on deck? And then the the access of getting from Kramer to Temperance. How how did that go down? I think I was I was the pacer. Okay, we just did a round robin. So Brian came out. Brian came out, looked at me, and said, "You're on the effect of, yeah, uh, he's he's got good legs." He's getting a little cranky. Uh, <laughs> go and set a fast pace for him. This was, Push him a little bit. This was Sugarloaf to Kramer. Cause... 
um, sure. drill up to Kramer. Yeah, and I was Kramer to Temperance, but th- they were very similar. And so I keep going, Jim. Yeah. So, uh, off we went, and uh, what I kind of uh, the first time uh, in the previous section I had sort of followed Andy. In this section, I let him. Okay. Which, uh, and now it's of course dark out, and so I was trying to gauge the pace of you know which to go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sort of taking Brian's lead, I was kind of setting a little bit, a little bit faster pace. Okay. I think it, even at one point, Andy said, "Let's go a little faster." So I'm like, okay, I can do that. <laughs> gotcha. So that awesome. was kind of fun. Um, what I did notice was that kind of what you said, Andy, is that you're, you're uh, mentally, that's where the fatigue and things were starting to set in, but your legs were still doing it. Uh, you still had the physical capacity to get up the hills and stride out the flat areas. So... Uh, I just made a note of that in setting the pace for the thing. Cool. It's it's pretty impressive how the mind will kind of wander a little bit, but I found myself sometimes experiencing the same thing as Andrew, getting that mental fatigue, but you're still moving well, so that's that's awesome. And I don't think sometimes as a runner you really understand that you're actually moving that well. Good. So let's look at temperance. That's that's kind of where we left it at. So so explain temperance a little bit. How is this aid station as a crew? Is it accessible parking wise? Are you lugging things in, or you need in the the wheeled cart? How does this aid station play out? So that's one that's pretty accessible. Um, in fact, uh, well, even even with that being in the front of the pack, there's parking. Um, again, it backs up on a, on a road, right? So it's single uh, in, in that regards, but um, it's very accessible. You can bring a wheeled item through there. Not a lot of space, per se, at the actual aid station itself. Um, so that could get uh, competitive for a spot. To see your runner come in, um, but um, it's not—it's um, not a very technical or difficult spot to get to, and and it is a shorter drive uh, between those eight stations. Okay, awesome. And just just to back up a real quick, Temperance is crew accessible for the hundred mile runners only, not for the fifty or the twenty-six, just the hundred milers. So you're not going to mix in with. Those other dual um, distances in that in that perspective, correct. Okay, and Andrew, Andrew, for you coming into Temperance, how are you feeling? Oh, I I think you're on mute. One. Nope, we lost we lost Andrew's audio. I could I can see him talking. 
Well, I could speak for him. He was looking really good at that point. Actually, seriously. <laughs> uh, that, uh, personally, the temperance section is, is the most beautiful. Um, the unfortunate part about the timing of where he was in the race, it was dark. Uh, so. Okay. Uh, what what time was it at, at temperance? Uh, that's somewhere around 5, 5.30 a.m. So. Okay. Wow, moving along well. Yeah, moving along very well at that point. Um, to get there before sunrises, very few people see that, um, which is pretty pretty spectacular, actually, considering uh, how many miles you're in at that point. The um, um, But that's an area from a crew perspective. If you have time during the daylight hours or the day before, <laughs> uh, if you have time to get up to the temperance area, I would suggest you do that uh, just for yourself as a treat or the next day uh, or the day after like that cool. Sunday when you're maybe a little bit more rested before. If you have the ability to stay around that area for another day or two after the event, uh, I suggest doing that. Yeah, temp Temperance State Park is, is beautiful. But I've been there, and it, it is it is something to... Especially that time of year, um, with the leaves changing and stuff, it's it's beautiful along that shoreline. So, Andrew, are we are we back? Yeah, I was gonna say, can you hear me now? Perfectly, awesome. All right, yeah. What what I was trying to say earlier was I have to rely on my crew for a lot of these details because it was coming into temperance when that mental fatigue and what I can only describe as general deliriousness really started setting in. Um, I was really honed in on my pacer's heels. Um, I just had my headlights shining on whatever would reflect on their heels, and I was just trying to keep up with them and just hang on. That's all I was doing. Um, in, in regards to temperance, um, one of the downsides of getting into temperance when it's dark is you do miss out on all of the beauty that is that park. Because, I mean, you're staring down 100, 200-foot caverns and waterfalls and it's it's just a spectacular um, gem of a state park. Yeah, that's a that that is a beautiful place. I I will admit. So, and and as Brian alluded to, if you as crew, family members, and whatnot take an extra day or two prior to the race or after the race and visit these state parks along the the shores of Superior, because it is it's something to behold. It's beautiful. Okay, so moving on. So from Temperance to to Sawbill. So I'm Brian. You may have jumped in at this point, I think. And if so, give us a little bit of perspective there. And then for the crew team, getting from Temperance Temperance to Sawbill. How how was that? And what was the Sawbill's aid station like? Was it big, small, easy to get to, accessible, things like that? Uh, so from a pacing perspective on that one, um, you know, at this point, uh, fatigue, yeah, had definitely set in, but, uh, as I was trying to re remind Andrew though, the entire time, or at least is that he runs in the morning, majority of the time as do I. So you just get that second wind or in some cases your third wind, uh, uh as that sun comes up, uh, you just kind of get a little bit of energy, uh. Or at the least, you convince yourself that you're getting more energy because the sun's coming up. Um, 
for sure. There's a lot of little tricks that you do to yourself uh, or to your runner while you're out there. Um, which was really nice about this event is I, I very rarely had to do that with Andrew. Um, there was, I was able to be pretty honest with him about everything. Didn't have to, uh, quote unquote, trick, play, trick him anything. Uh, uh, play some Britney Spears or some new kids on the block or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it was, it was, it was a very, <laughs> really simple event in that way. Um, I was pleasantly surprised. Nice. Um, and very happy for him in, in, in that regards. Um, so that section actually, you know, wasn't, wasn't too bad. Uh, and it was at this point where I was cautiously feeling right. I had alluded to it with Dave and Jim, like, okay, I'm feeling like the wheels aren't coming off. Like we're, we haven't destroyed him. He's holding up. Let's start to push him a little more. Let's push him, pushing okay. him because at this point, we, there was never really, uh, you know, there were some broad time goals and Andrew can probably speak to those a little bit more in depth, but, um, so it was kind of this general, just, I want to, you know, he's feeling good. Let's see what we can do to him, uh, without, uh, destroying his race because I started to feel more confident as we went from each aid station and he was still moving well. And moving up. Uh, so, I mean, as you're you're passing people, you know you're passing other 100 milers at that point. And that's pretty exciting. You know, I, yeah, I, for I've sure. been on both sides of that late in 100 milers. I've been the one passing people, and I've also been the one getting passed. And yeah. the, one is better than the other, I can assure you of that. <laughs> And, uh, for sure. So yeah, that section was pretty exciting for me simply because he was moving along so well, uh, but fatigue was kicking in. So he was kind of losing his sense of where he was at in the race, the time, the distance. Um, but that's to be expected, you know, right. The old, uh, trail map comes into play. And so if I, for sure, I remember right, Brian, wasn't there a debate how many, how many more aid stations were left during this leg? You, you and Andy had an, uh, an argument. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Wait, yeah. so this is from Temperance to Sawbill, and you guys get into an argument. So how many? How many? Who won? I, I honestly don't know. All all I recall is there being about a three mile one hour argument because we were we were arguing about the number of aid stations, and I was confused as to why the section we were running was called Sawbill, but we were running to Carlton Peak. And in my head, I just couldn't make sense of all that. And I kept yeah, arguing yeah. with Brian, like, no, we're going to Carlton Peak. And then he would be like, no, we're, we're running to the Sawbill. And then I, you know, <laughs> I'm 100% German, so I had to, I was stubborn and just refusing to come off my argument with him. But I, I do believe he ended up being correct. You were right. So did Brian, did, did you ever, did you ever just tell him like, all right, man, you're, you're right. Let's just go. And then just leave it at that. Yeah. He was actually pretty convincing if I hadn't uh, known that he was <laughs> wrong uh, and just, fatigued uh he might have actually convinced me that that we were at that point in the race but i knew better than that um and he he eventually realized it um but later 
later on when we got to the next aid station, we had some more confusion about that. But uh, uh, but you could have run a whole other section and you wouldn't even have known because you were moving so quickly. <laughs> uh, and you still would have nice. finished high in the, in the race itself. Um, but thankfully, we didn't get detoured. Uh, but yeah, there's always every one of these events I've ever done, there's always at least one section of two or three aid stations where you just kind of lose track of where you're at, where things, and maybe it's because the section's not memorable or the aid station name isn't something real catchy. You know, I don't know. You're 90 miles, you're 90 miles deep. Yeah, you're, you're 90 miles deep into the race. Yeah. So we, it's been dark for a while. Jim and I found Sawbell quite easily. It's off a fairly main road. But I remember we both took a nap. We took a cat nap. Yeah, we did. Yeah. And how did we get up? Because you, you were hustling them to, to get to the line, Jim. Uh, I don't remember if we sent alarm. But it, it was, I remember. You were moving to, to go meet Brian, and yeah, there, there was not a lot of time. Over. time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because from Tempest well, to Tallbill... You're, you're, even though you're, you're not running the whole way, you're, you're up and that's a, just a long time to be awake. You start not putting things together quite, uh, quite right. You know, it's actually easier. It was easier kind of when you were running because then you sort of had a job and you were focused on the next, whatever, eight miles, uh, and. So. The other thing I remember about this aid station is, again, Andy's looking super strong, but Brian, I don't know if you remember this, you were paranoid about the rain, and 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 yeah. and I know I know with good reason, but I, um, you know, you 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 that was your last that was the last hurdle, so to speak, before Andy was in the clear. <clears throat> yeah, I I don't handle the cold very well, so. Coming into coming into Sawbill, there was some uh, right at daylight hit, but there wasn't a lot of sun. It was very cloud covered, and you could see a, a, a rain clouds basically chasing us. And there was a little bit of mist in the air, and uh, so yeah, I was I was very nervous and always waiting for that shoe to drop, thinking what's gonna derail this race. And everything was yeah, going yep. so well at that point. I was just thinking, oh man, if that rain hits you and it's below 50, I've been in that environment. In fact, Mason, we were in that environment at Cruel Jewel. And it's not yep. a very inviting situation. Uh, so yes, he left that aid station with an emergency poncho and something else I threw in his vest. Uh, we were switching his hydro pack. He brought two, and we just switched one okay. each time through for lowering filled with the food, water, or electrolyte, and any gear. So that was the first time I've had a runner that's had two bags, two hydro packs already in, in the cycle, which worked really well from well, that's smart. for a crew. Uh, and I threw some emergency stuff in there and made sure that he had it, which thankfully he was far enough ahead and it didn't rain. Uh, 
on him. Uh, yeah. So. That was great. Those storms, those storms can sneak up and get nasty in a hurry, for sure. Especially that far north, it can get uh, a turn for the worse fairly quick. And if you're tired and a little bit chilled already, once you get wet, it's yeah. a problem. The, the previous Quickly. year at Superior, it rained the entire first day for 14 hours of it. Um, Jeez. Now, I wasn't envisioning that when I was nervous for him, but I was definitely envisioning the cold rain and with yep. only 10 or 15 miles. And I say that came to the right. I mean, that's a very long distance when you that far in, but I, I was like, Okay, what else could stop him? And um, so I was, I was, yeah, I was nervous. <laughs> oh, for sure. That's easy to, that's easy to do. So, so Sawbills seems like a pretty easy aid station to get to, pretty accessible. So from Sawbill to Oberg, what was, how was that? There's really nothing in between there. It looks pretty barren. There's the little town of Toft, if that's a town per se of anything, but. Um, Brian, so then you dropped as a pacer, and who picked up from there? And for the crew team, explain or give a little bit of insight on the Oberg aid station. I think I, I picked up after Brian, right? And it was dark, but uh, we were going to be running into the morning and okay. uh the run itself started uh you know hilly roots but then as the sun came up it really uh became some pretty runnable trail pretty kind of flat through trees, uh, you could actually maintain a pretty good pace just as the sun was coming up. It was really, it was really something. Oh, am I, am I still there? Did we lose yep. somebody? I'm here. I'm back. Yeah. It said something about an unstable happened. inner. We're back. Oh, it's Andrew's fault. Jude. We're back. <laughs> so, no, everything looks uh, good on my side. Yeah, and we were worried about the rain. Uh uh-huh. But that didn't didn't materialize. The temperature was perfect, no wind. It just couldn't have been a better better morning. Cool. That's awesome. And the yeah. the Oberg aid station, how how was this aid station? I mean, you're you're now starting to get these aid stations a little bit tighter together. You're coming into the finish from for the cruise perspective. How how was that Oberg aid station? So I think was it Twin Cities Running Club was sponsoring it. Um, it was thinned out by the yeah, Mill City Running Mill City. Yeah. Um, but um, I mean, it was there's plenty of room there for sure. We had we had a hard Brian and I had a hard time because by that time Andy's family was awake and wanted to see Andy, and so we had to drive down the hill to get reception. Um, that was our only hiccup at at, at that um, aid station. 
So so Oberg, you don't have any any cell service at Oberg. You have to get off the beaten or head back into somewhat sort of civilization to get some some service. Yeah, so it's it's just off of you know it's a, about a mile off of sixty one, which is the main road you're going north. Which is a lot of the aid stations are like that, where you're just branching off of the main highway. But as you go up off of that main highway, you lose your cell reception about halfway through. Okay. So we doubled back to get reception to communicate with Andrew's wife to say, if you hurry, you can get here in time because you're running okay. so well. Um, so they made it there probably 15 minutes before he arrived, which worked really well. Um, we could, yeah. Well, that's perfect timing. It was. And there, again, with that one, it's um, easy parking, uh, even if you're late uh, in, in the pack, right? It's just on the yeah. side road again and uh, and a lot of space at the actual aid station itself. And uh, again, just like all the other aid stations, fully stocked, very accessible um, and uh, well-organized aid station from that perspective. So we had a lot of fun time hanging out there. I did because there's just more people there in general because you're getting closer to the finish line. And uh, for sure. And I knew some of the people at that aid station. So um, awesome. So, so I have to interject for just a second here because uh, something Brian said finally connected a few dots for me, even being almost two months removed from the race. So as Jim mentioned, they all just kind of leapfrog. So every aid station, a different runner would hop in. Well, I thought Brian was just excessively ca caffeinated coming through um, his third <laughs> leg of pacing. Um, and I was like, gosh, I'm really struggling to keep up with him. But now it makes a lot more sense. But um, when Jim hopped in at Sawbill... He took off like a bat out of hell. And I was like, what in the heck are these guys doing? I had to tell Jim, I was like, we've got to slow down. Like, I can't do this. I physically can't do this. Yeah. Um, so what, what we, was the magic sauce? But you did it, though. I, for me, <laughs> yeah, I just I just gritted my teeth. And I was like, well, we're just going to hang on for dear life. And you know what? If I fall, it won't be the first time. It won't be the last time. And. God willing, if they have to drag my body across the finish line, that's what they're there to do. So nice, awesome. Um, but but getting into Oberg, kind of a funny story there. Uh, so my wife and kids did make it up, uh, but I was just so delirious and mentally out of it. Uh, my wife said that I came into that aid station, uh, kissed my youngest daughter on the cheek, didn't give my wife a second of eye contact, and I just <laughs> dropped my pack and kept walking. <laughs> um, and then, and then to keep the story going, as Dave hops in at Oberg, he says, how bad do you want sub 26? And I said, Dave, I don't care what time I get. I don't care what place I'm in. I know I have this thing in the bag, so let's just get across the finish line. So apparently Dave interpreted that as let's run as fast as possible <laughs> up this, up the hill and I uh, haven't told you this, I'll, I'll but I was playing cat and mouse. I, I was playing cat and mouse. And the other thing is, I would, these last two legs from Andy, I would get a word from a message 
oh, Jim made me pass three or four guys. And then and then on the next leg, oh, we passed I love three, it. three guys because of Jim. So then in my mind, I said, well, if Jim gets three, then I'm going to get three. <laughs> I, gotta get, no, I, I thought you were going to say I got to get four. Uh, <laughs> I was personally excited oh. because a friend of mine um, uh, had come in five minutes before Andrew. So I knew Andrew could, could hunt him down, and he did. Uh, in fact, that was the only person he passed in that last section. And uh, so I was pretty happy to see that. That's awesome. So so let's let's continue on then. So, yeah, let's get to the finish. So Oberg to Caribou, fairly simple drive like we've just mentioned a little few minutes ago that it's all on Highway 61, and then you take Ski Hill Road up to the Caribou Highlands, the ski resort there in, in, in Lutzen. So from Oberg to Caribou, who brought who brought Andrew home? I was running with Andy. Dave, Dave did. Dave brought him home. So let's uh, from the pacer perspective, what was that like? And then we'll go into the crew on on getting up to the to the finish. Yeah, and like we we just talked about, like I I was pushing him. Then I was playing cat and mouse. At this point, I was like, you know what? Let's let's bury the needle let's here. Let's go. Um, and so I try and run away and get him out of his eyesight, wait for him, and then keep going. So I was screaming at him, and um, I think he needed some potato chips at one point. But he got up. There's two big climbs in that that section. Um, but he he was moving. He I, I'm I'm certain the last climb he ran the whole thing. He was just a machine. He he really was. Wow. And by that time, Jim and Brian had run got to the finish and ran back and met up with us. Oh, so you guys ran back down the trail. So Yeah. We drove around, which is an easy drive back up to the finish. Okay. And then and then we ran back up the trail until we met him, which was a couple mi I don't know, a couple miles, Brian. Yeah, so we like that. we had a little bit of time because you know, that drive from over to the finish line is, you know, short. And, mm -hmm. uh, again, you're at the finish line, so we simply just parked, you know, right in the large parking lot right near where Andrew uh, had his setup. Um, and knowing that we had plenty of time, uh, you know, to hang out at the finish line, uh, his wife was down there. And the kids, so they they stayed down there. Jim and I just we we walked the ski hill or we walked the road that leads back into the woods, uh, and we just walked it in reverse until we got until we met them. Because uh, in this event, you you can have multiple pacers at the very end, kind of guide you down the road yeah, into Lucent. So yeah, the whole team's been there all night. Let them run them. Let them. Bring the runner home. Yeah, That's yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah. So we got a little further into the woods than um, I've ever done uh, for that event as a as a crew. Um, but uh, that was pretty something special. So we probably got to run about a mile and a half, I would say, as a yeah. three, okay. a, as a four song uh, on trail and then onto the pavement to, and down into Lutzen. Cool. Uh, and I personally love that part because 
at that point, you're descending down the hill and uh, it just sinks in as the rock. Like, oh, wow, this is this is really happening. Yeah, uh, and it's your first one, the Superior Fall 100. That's a tough race for your first one. That's uh, that's tough. Well, I, I, I had to keep the streak alive because the first 50-mile race I ran was the Superior 50, so I was like, Let's just go big or go home, and let's make the first hundred superior as well. Uh, so this fifty miles is like it's it's old school. It's old news to you. Like it's easy peasy. You've already ran this one. <laughs> <laughs> Drawn on the memory bank. Yeah, um, but uh, to Brian's point, I, I do have to give Brian a, a tip of my hat because with about a mile and a half to two miles to go, um, I was so sick and tired of having my pack on. I just said, I, I knew I was getting close because um, volunteers with the Superior Hiking Trail put in this uh, beautiful stair-stepped boardwalk right before you hit the road. And in my delirious, fatigued state of mind, I, I knew in my head that I was under two miles at that point. So I was like, ah, we got to be pretty close. And I'm just like, will somebody please take this pack? And Brian's like, oh, I'll just carry it. Well, turns out he had to carry it for about a mile and a half. But I was like, eh, you know what? I, I was just so sick and tired of having it on. That I didn't sure. feel too sorry for him at that point. <laughs> <laughs> so so Lutzen in, in general is a ski resort. I believe there, there is a hotel there because I know that I've seen uh, YouTube videos of the finish. There are people in the pool swimming and whatnot, so... Crew, parking-wise, you guys had accessible parking. It doesn't sound like there was too much to worry about there. Um, it is a very large resort, so to speak. Um, was that was that what you guys found at the finish? Was it was pretty accessible for the crew teams? Did you guys have things to do while you waited for the runner? Obviously, you went down and met Andrew um, coming back up, but give give the listeners a little bit of – um, perspective on what they can experience at the at the finish of the Superior 100. Yeah, physically, it's a nice terrace uh, that they had a big tent set up with food and drinks, and uh, like it, they were selling T-shirts and hats and things. Uh, and then there's a big play area, like a kid kind of play area, grassy area. Uh, and then watch the runners come down. And the hotel that Danny was staying at is right, right there. I mean, it's nice. Uh, you're you're in the backyard of the thing practically. Yeah, and there cool multiple food options um, outside of the food that is provided as a finisher. Uh, and beverages um, because of the hotel right in the lodge right there they basically have us a, a separate little almost it's not a food truck but a separate standalone building that they're selling food out of which is really delicious and then a really great pizza pizza and bar that's right 50 feet from the finish right line um, fire pits multiple fire pits set up so it becomes a huge um party throughout the the day in this case because Andrew finished so early. Okay. Um and then it leads into the evening because it's a thirty is it thirty six or thirty eight hour call? Thirty six? Thirty eight. Thirty eight. Yeah. So yep. when it gets to those last like two hours or so it's it's you know night setting in again 
and you got it's a really great ass. <laughs> Super fun. You got beer, you got pizza, food. I imagine that towards the evening hours, it can become quite lively. Yeah, yeah. And Andrew was able to take a nap. Nice. Uh, he didn't really come back out much after that, but I stayed down there the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So, Andrew, bring us bring us home that last mile. I mean, you got you got your crew there that have been slaving away, supporting you for the entire event up until this point, and now they're bringing you home. So what was that like in finishing your first 100-miler, not to mention the Superior Fall 100-miler, which I would arguably say is one of the, if not the most hardest 100 um, in in September, um, this side of the, the Midwest? Yeah, so bring it, bring us home, and how how was that that finish? Yeah, so you know, coming out of Oberg, like I mentioned, I, I, I knew I had it in the bag at that point. It was just putting one foot in front of the other and just keep moving forward, do my best to keep up with Dave as he's running nine mile, nine minute miles up Moose Mountain. <laughs> um, but when I, when it really sunk in for me was there. There's a very small overlook um, at the top of moose mountain and in my head i knew that was the two mile mark and then when we got down to the boardwalk i knew it was about a mile and a half mm-hmm. and i just had this um compounding sequence of markers in my head that i knew i was getting closer and closer and you know there were multiple times i just kind of um just shut down and kept to myself because i knew in my head you know i had just put my body my physical body through this tenuous exercise uh mentally i was still you know kind of halfway in it but what i was really soaking in was i was just so grateful for everybody's time uh sacrifice you know they took a four and a half five hour drive from their families um literally took a weekend stayed up overnight i mean all of us were up for 26 28 30 32 hours um and then on top of that like i mentioned earlier this was also, you know, my finish line for this three-year timeline that I put together when I was laying on yep. my living room floor. So there were a couple times where, you know, aside from the inability to swallow food, I had this burning sensation in my throat because I was just choking back tears because I was just, I mean, my cup was full. I mean, I was full of gratitude, thankfulness, um, appreciated all the sacrifice these guys went through their families went through to let them come out and play in the woods with me for 28, 30 hours. Um, but then the, the cream of the crop was when my wife and kids, um, you kind of run through this grassy area along the side of the resort. And, uh, my four-year-old daughter popped out with just, you know, arms extended, just happy and excited. And (laughs) uh, I just, I just grabbed her hand and, um, about 100 feet from the finish line, she actually tripped and fell, and there's a really iconic picture of me, like, <laughs> draining her. Uh, but it, it was just an incredibly fulfilling moment that, um, as cliche as this sound, it's just one of those things I just won't ever forget. You know, crossing the line of your first 100-mile race, yeah. uh, which in classic store camp fashion was actually 103.3 miles. <laughs> yep. Um, but at you know, least you didn't have a pointless out and back like the cruel jewel. 
and they tell you it's pointless. We're just doing this because we're gonna do it. Brutal. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's three miles straight down, three miles straight back. But enough yeah. of that. So Andrew, that's awesome. I mean, I, I think that's something that a lot of people who hear of people running a hundred miles don't understand that feeling of excitement. Like you said, your cup was full, the gratitude, the excitement, everything was just it just culminates wow. into that that goal that you've achieved. It's a hundred miles, hundred and three, you know, the, the store camp way. But yeah, it's it's special. It's something that Jim, you're going to get there one day. You're going to finish that 100 mile, and you're going to feel that. And Dave will get you off the roads, put you on the trail, and get those shoes muddy. And yeah, finishing 100 miles is no joke. Probably one of the most gratifying, just it's one of the most successful goals that I've ever achieved. And I know that a lot of people, Andrew, you said it yourself, your cup was full and the excitement was there. And a lot of people don't experience that. I wish they all could because they, they'll never forget it for the rest of their life. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's 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 one of those moments of achievements that will just never leave you. I mean, it, it it's tough to describe, and it's just a unique, special feeling. Yep, for sure. So let's just uh, kind of wrap this out. From the runner's perspective, Andrew just gave us a little bit of uh, his feeling on the excitement achieved of, of finishing this race. So, so Dave, Jim, and Brian, how excited were you as crew one, to finally be able to go get some sleep. But how excited were you for Andrew to finish this race? Yeah, we're super excited. Yeah. Go ahead, Dave. I would, it would echo just with the, the having him, having um, to watch him with his family by his side, that was, that was the, the icing on the cake. So, um, I mean, knowing Andy over these last several years, he's Mr. Consistency. The guy does not miss a workout. Um, and so I, I knew pretty quickly he was going to finish. So it was, it was yep. just a gradual build. And then again, at the end there with the family was, was, I was so happy for him. Yeah. I echo the same thing. It was a wonderful experience. And just to be part of that and something he's been chasing for a long, long time. Awesome. Mansky. You're smiling and giving thumbs up down there. <laughs> no, I I simply couldn't be more excited for him. And um nice. As Jim and Dave said, right? Um, get uh getting to see that moment with your family as well is, is a big thing. And uh I was just excited to kind of see what your reaction would be with uh, like a mile or two to go or what, how you would look at the finish line. Because everyone <laughs> celebrates differently. I've seen it anyways. And uh, yeah, I was, uh, I'm just very uh, full of a lot of gratitude uh, that I got to be part of that experience yeah. and uh, play a small role in helping. Uh, yeah. Done that on a couple of occasions and it's, it's like nothing else. Uh, it's you know, I enjoy completing them on my own, uh, completing them as well as I do as, as I enjoy it as much, if not more, helping someone finish it as well. So, awesome. I'm Bob Andrew, very consistent. Uh, and as I said before, I'm not lying. That was the easiest proving and pacing that I have ever done uh, for an event, <laughs> and not just because of being three guys. Awesome. But 
yeah, you made it real easy. That's good to hear. And I kind of wanted to wrap it up by going with with Dave. Uh, Andrew, we're going to leave you out of this one for, for a quick second. So from Dave, Jim, and Brian's perspective, we'll just kind of start with Dave. Then we'll go to Jim, and then we'll go to Brian. So on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being the easiest, 10 being the most difficult, um, how how was it crewing this event? And then to back up that question with the second one, what is one piece of advice or gear that you would offer the listeners in crewing the Superior Fall 100? Dave? I think we lost Dave. Did, did we lose him? I'm here. I just lost my camera here. Oh, we're there. Um, can you hear me? Yep, we can hear you. Yeah, I honestly, I this was like a three or a four. I and that's a reflection of Andy, though. I mean, he, we should share his. Um, you know, he had an Excel spreadsheet with detailed um, listing on his caloric requirement, hydration requirement. You know, it's ETA, what to expect. Um, so that just saves so much. Um, it streamlined a lot of our organization, um, to say the least. Um, okay, nice. I mean, as far as, the other thing that hasn't been brought up yet, as far as a word of advice, and I learned this afterwards, but this was with intention, is Andy, we he didn't sit down. So he, we kept him on the go other than a shoe change or a sock change. We would see other runners sit down, have their runner sit down. They'd give him a massage. They'd, you know, talk to him, which yeah. obviously if you're running his hurt runners hurting, that makes a lot of sense, but he was feeling well, he kept going. And, 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 um, again, that was an intentional, <clears throat> For sure. No, that's a a word of the wise that I've always heard is fear the chair. Coming to an aid station, stay out of those things. But that's good. Um, Jim. I on, think on, we uh my headphones just conked out. Can you hear me? We got you, Jim. We can hear you. So okay. yeah, uh, a scale of one to ten, how how easy, difficult was this to crew? And then a piece of advice you would offer the listeners. I I thought it was easy. I uh, kind of go off what Dave said that it was we. Andy had things very well organized as to what he needed, uh, you know, ahead of time at each aid station, um, and he intentionally didn't want to spend a lot of time at the aid station. It was really come in, change out the uh, the hydration pack and get going uh as far as a piece of gear hmm the something with wheels so you can bring that box of stuff back into crosby without having to carry it the mile in it or the half mile in the half mile back out nice that's what i awesome. got Brian. Well, yeah, to kind of put a bow on that. Um, yeah, so Superior 100, Fall 100 is, from a crew perspective, is 
is not difficult logistics wise. One, because you're simply on one main highway with a few offshoots and one or two more remote spots at the 50 mile mark. Um, also because of the race director having things dialed extremely mm -hmm. well with the booklet. And I've done enough of these events where the booklets are either small or non-existent. Uh, hence why we have Correct. these types of podcasts. Um, uh, so that made it, that makes it very simple. Also, Andrew, right. Having that spreadsheet and everything, but it's one thing to have a spreadsheet and to do all that on stuff because I nerd out on that as well. Uh, it's another thing to actually stick to that game plan. I mm -hmm. can't emphasize that enough that he did. And that's rare. That's awesome. Because I have not stuck to my own plan. You come into an aid station, you get distracted, you see shiny objects, and you start grabbing five different things off that table. And they all feel great at the moment, but oftentimes it's not what you need or the wrong amounts. And you pay the price later because uh, that adds up. Now, we, I tried to keep Andrew away from the aid station, which is why we had everything packed ahead of time for him. He didn't really have to spend a whole lot of time at those and get uh, enticed by all of the additional options. Now, we did have, right, these aid stations are fully stocked with warm soups, sandwiches, um, you know, and all of the hot food, which we supplemented in based on how he was feeling. But he stuck to his guns on that. Um, also, thing about Good. this race, is that it's accessible so many times for the crew so you really can experience more of that time with your runner if you're especially if you're willing to stay up the whole night um uh, i've done other events where you you can't you know you see your crew only two or three times um yep and that's fine too um you just got to know that going into the event um, also, his planning made it easy and such that we weren't carrying tons of additional gear and equipment to these aid stations. As a crew, that's just something that you learn or you do, and you learn to runner, that you eventually hone in and you get it down to where you just have maybe one Tupperware bin or one backpack full of what you need so that the crew isn't carrying eight bags every time not knowing what you might or not need uh, yep that's smart granted there's some things that you just always carry extra with just in case like a change of socks which is critical uh and shoes uh you know equipment wise for this race it depends it depends on the weather conditions, and but most often you're going to want to have a change of shoes because your feet are going to get wet, because uh, you are going to cross some water, and um, so whether you do that at County Road Six, Midland, or Crosby, or maybe you switch them twice, uh, that's always critical. Uh, just keeping your feet dry, that'll shut you down faster than. Anything else during a hundred minutes if your feet get mangled. Yeah, no doubt. I echo that. All right. So I think that kind of 
rounds it out. Um, yeah, thanks you guys for for joining us and uh, coming together. <clears throat> I'm not sure if if you've been in this type of a format since helping Andrew get through his first hundred miler and having everybody together and kind of relive the experience. Um, I hope that we were able to shed some light on on this this event from a crew's perspective, a pacer's perspective, and to give Andrew the stage to give his insight on what it was and what it was like to run the Superior Fall 100. So, uh, yeah, you guys were awesome. I appreciate you spending the time and giving me the opportunity to, to speak to you guys. I learned a lot. I know that uh, when I run the Superior, I'll reflect back on this this podcast and this information to, to be prepared. So, Well, Mason, thank you for bringing us all together and putting this yeah. podcast on. Uh, this has been really fun. Um, and to your point, uh, we, we have not as a group been in in the same room or on the same screen since superior so thank you for bringing us all together again and uh best of luck with everything and i hope we cross paths again in the future all right everybody well there you have it a pure and uncut discussion with andrew and his crew during the 2023 superior fall 100 trail race as you've heard firsthand this is an amazing race put on by rocksteady running and it will test to the core the abilities of us as trail runners and crew teams. We hope you find this information useful in your preparations if you have been one of the lucky draw recipients into this event. As always, please give us a review and follow us along on Instagram at Ultra Crew Hub and on our website at www.ultracrewhub.com. We hope to hear from you soon. Cheers. Be safe. <laughs>